Atlanta will fit in your mailbox, but a Rolls Royce yeah, has to be right. special delivery. <laughs> well, in radio, you know, they guys used to uh, used to put plugs in, and then they get free products, whatever they mentioned the week before. So if you needed something like an electric razor, you would put that on the list, and everyone would try to work the name of an electric razor company into the script, and you would get one. For I remember that happening a couple of times on the Jack Benny show. He was a master at, of course, in his shtick, trying to get free things, and you just triggered yeah. a memory on that one. And then the uh, FCC put a stop to it because it's oh, really? illegal. That's called payola. <laughs> it, oh, did that go under payola? <gasps> yeah. Oh, how sad. Was it was really... early payola before the disc jockeys caught on to it. Yeah. Oh, wow. Bob, what was... The perfect show, the one Bob Hope loved above all others during his career. Boy, oh boy. You know, the perfect show, the one he loved above all others. The one he was always the most excited about was the next one. I never saw anybody uh, so um, new. Every, everything was new to him. Like every show was like he had never done it before, and we were this one was going to be fabulous, and we're going to put a show on in the barn, you know. And my my dad's a director, and he could direct, and we'll. And it was like that, you know. You get that feeling. We would we would come up with ideas, and uh, so I, it's hard for me to say. I think he he was very proud of China uh, because of the fact that we were the first in there, and it had a historical overtone to it. And I always said to him, you know, why don't you donate that show to PBS so that more people can see it? And he looks at me and he says, PBS, what, that's, no, we're in commercial television here. So <laughs> I never could uh, get past that. And so I never went to PBS. But, you know, it was a three-hour show, but it could have been pared down to 90 minutes. And, I mean, we had some historic stuff in there, like the the uh, class that uh, Bereshnikov gave to those uh, ballet students, yeah, classic things, but um, then we had the Peking Opera, a long segment on the Peking Opera, we went backstage and showed how they uh, how they get ready, and, and this was back when, you know, China was not as well known as it is now, mm -hmm. but um, it, uh, it it never did, uh, never did air but that once, I'd love to see it again, I, I show clips, but I'd love Who to Who owns the rights to it? Yeah, yeah. Who well, does? <laughs> who, who owns the rights to it, Bob? Oh, well, um, he, he owned all the shows, so uh, and he would license NBC to air them. Mm -hmm. And uh, he didn't like to uh, air reruns because he didn't get paid the same amount from NBC for a rerun, and he didn't want them to get into the habit of reruns. So <clears throat> we hated that, <laughs> that element because we would never get rerun money. Because he very seldom reran a show. Occasionally he would. Yeah. But uh, but not like you know. He, that one was so special. Rerun all the time during the summer. You see the old shows, but yeah. Uh, not hope. He he was protective of doing as many new shows as he could because that's where mm -hmm. the money is. You know. Tell me from your perspective, um, the 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 greatest show, the greatest gag, the greatest practical joke. Was anybody a practical joker on? Um, on that show? No. The, nobody nobody pulled no, gags on each not other. Really. I I think the biggest practical joke we tried on Bob was uh, when we went to Tahiti. Uh we just happened to be walking down the beach and here were these two Tahitian gals coming 
from the other direction. And, you know, they don't wear much in Tahiti. And <laughs> you were wearing nothing uh, from the waist up. So, and, and Gene Parrott and I stopped and started talking to them. And uh, we said, hi, we're here with the Bob Hope special. Oh, yeah, you must be, oh, we're so excited to have you here. And we said, where, where do you live? She said, San Jose, California. <laughs> <laughs> this is my cousin, you know, Holly Loki or whatever. And so Gene and I, uh, being the, the tricksters that we are, we said, look, we're going to have a meeting with Bob in that hut over there. And he was flying in. We were there before he was. And so we had this meeting scheduled. And we said, why don't we'll signal you and you just come walking by and you know, we'll see if what his reaction to it is. And uh, he he, uh, he got a kick out of it. He, he did laugh at that when we when we pulled that one off. But that that's really the only practical joke I can think of. We were always so busy on the road when we were working in foreign countries because uh, you know, there are, there are additional uh, problems to working in foreign places, and uh, you spend a little bit more time on uh, on the show than you would at home, where everything is all controlled. You know, so no um, practical jokes. I can't. That's a, that's the only one that comes off the top of my head. There. When you were in a foreign country, Bob, and you need to write more material, did they did Bob rent a conference room at the hotel, or do you guys go back up to your room to write new material? I mean. Did you have sort of a, a makeshift working studio to prepare things while you were hitting the road? No, we 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 always had good uh, lodging. Mm -hmm. We always flew first class, and uh, we always had good um, good hotel suites, mm -hmm. you know. And uh, we we would work there. And as I said, he was very very uh, careful not to um, give us too short notice on stuff. But sometimes we would have uh, an emergency and we came back from a party one time in London and there was a note in our box and it said uh, to Gene Parrott and me, uh, leaving in the morning at 7 for Elstree Studios, that's a movie studio where the Muppets uh, taped in England and he was going to be guesting on the Muppet show and he said, here's the script, they were late getting it to me, punch it up which he always had us do, you know, put some hope touches in it and uh, have it in my box in the morning. So here's Gene and me, <laughs> and our wives are with us. So we put our wives to, the, to bed, and then we both took a blanket and got into the uh, uh, bathtub and worked uh, <laughs> laying on a, a blanket in the bathtub so we wouldn't uh, keep our wives away. You're but good that's guys. the only time in all the, in all the years I was with Hope that I actually lost any sleep doing it. Then I, I probably... We probably both spent a half hour, 45 minutes, and it was kind of second nature by then. You'd go through and whip through and stick some hope jokes in here and there, you know? Mm-hmm. You had an agreement with him about sleep times. Yeah. I told him early on, because I'm a morning person, and he uh, he was notorious for waking up writers in the middle of the night, early on in radio and early television. And there were stories that went around about when it was just notorious because he he had learned how to nap in vaudeville. He said that he could uh, get sleep in small increments. So he was used to not getting eight hours of sleep at night like the normal person does. He, he could sleep in train stations and uh, hotel lobbies and stuff like that. And so um, he very often would forget that other people have a 
time schedule, and they sleep in the middle of the night. And he, he would call writers in the middle of the night. So he had this favorite writer he would call named Jack Rose, and uh, he'd wake him up. It could be 2 a.m., 2.30, something like that, 3 o'clock, didn't matter. Phone would ring, and he'd have something he wanted Jack to do. So Jack's wife said to him one time, uh, I can't put up with it. I can't get to sleep when the phone rings, and then you get the assignment, and I hear you on the phone talking to him, and then I'm losing sleep, and it can't go on. So Jack says, well, what am I going to do, honey? You know, he pays us well, and uh, it's the greatest job in Hollywood. And uh, she says, well, I've got an idea. The next time he calls, let me answer. So he thinks that, you know, she'll read the riot act to him, and that'll be okay. So the phone rings a couple of nights later, and uh, it's Hope, and says, hi, this is Bob Hope. Is Jack there? And uh, he says, gee, Bob, uh, Jack told me he'd be working with you tonight. And without missing a beat, Hope says, oh, yeah, here he comes now, and hangs up. <laughs> so he was quick in any kind of a situation. Yes, he was. Now, oh, that's, <laughs> and that's very funny. protective of his boys, you know. It, it sure sounds like it. Who was yeah. his favorite performer to work with? Oh, he had a lot. I think he loved George Burns because Burns could do so many of the things that he did. Um, he, uh, oh, God, he loved Lucy. He loved working with Lucy because she was a perfectionist like him, and they both went for, uh, you know, excellence in everything that they did. Uh, his, his favorite stand-up comedian, and you would never guess this, was Shecky Green. Mm. Isn't that funny? He would just look at Shecky Green and... and start laughing and go on the floor. Shecky has that way about him. But Shecky is, a, is a, an unlikely candidate, you know, for a stand-up. He's very different. But that was one of his favorites in stand-up. And then uh, as far as guests went, he, he liked Elizabeth Taylor. Uh, he loved the biggies, you know, because they were such great uh, billboards. You get Elizabeth Taylor on your show and people tune in, that's for sure. I have a list of people. It's a very short list, but I'd like to go through them, and you give me a one word or a one line that instantly comes to mind. Can we do that? Sure. Okay. Edgar Bergen. Edgar Bergen. Um, fabulous story that was told to me by Don Knotts. Don, a lot of people don't know that Don Knotts started out as a uh, ventriloquist, and when he went into the Army, they said, uh, what do you do? And he said, well, I ventriloquist. Oh, we'll put you in special services. So he's in special services. And Edgar Bergen was coming to the base. And the commanding officer said, "You would you take care of Mr. Bergen while he's here and make sure he gets to his quarters and everything and goes to the rehearsals and everything? So Don said, I was so thrilled. He said, I just, Don, by the way, was a wonderful guy, just a sweetheart. And uh, he said, I, I just looked at Bergen and I thought, God, I never thought I'd get to meet this guy that he'd grown up with. And uh, so they're sitting, uh, rehearsing one day, and uh, Edgar is sitting next to him with Charlie McCarthy on his uh, lap, and he says, uh, is that the men's room over there? And uh, Don says, yeah. He says, I, I have to go to the men's room. Do I have time? Yeah. Here, hold this. And he just kind of throws Charlie McCarthy on the lap of Don Knotts, and Don looks down. And here's Charlie, and he's like, he's been in an auto accident. His arms are all akimbo, you know, and his legs are going off in weird positions, and his head is just dangling there. And I, he said, I, I didn't want to touch him. It was like sacred. And then I realized 
Charlie McCarthy had gone to the men's room. This was just a prop. And he said, I never, I never looked at it the same again. But he always had a little tear in his eye when he would recall that story. Oh, Please, as a ventriloquist, it? he had a whole different perspective on this. That's right. We, we forget <laughs> that a, a good ventriloquist makes it seem like the, the dummy is a separate person, but it's not. It's just a prop. And mm -hmm. he, he gave the prop to him and, you know, thought, uh, thought nothing of it. And so Don learned a lot about show business that day. <laughs> but he got a little tear in his eye. Uh, That's Mr. Bergen. Give me another name. Jack Benny. Jack Benny? Mm-hmm. I missed working with Jack Benny because he had died uh, a year or two, I think a year before I joined Bob Hope. And I also... Lo and behold, I missed uh, Bing Crosby by one month. I started with Bob Hope in August of 1977, and our first show of that first season for me was going to be of the uh, of that season uh, in September was going to be on the road with Bing, and they were going to do a retrospective. And then Bing uh, died playing golf in Spain. In, uh, in late August, I'd been with Hope a couple of weeks, and so I thought, oh, it came so close. And I was a big fan of things too, but uh, never, never did work with Jack Benny for that reason. He he was dead by the time I came along. I'm sorry about both of them. Danny Thomas. Danny Thomas, yeah, interesting guy. Um, he uh, <laughs> he he uh, was on a lot of Bob Hope shows, and I think. Uh, uh, Hope liked him. He did a lot of work for uh, for uh, the hospital, the kids' hospital, you know. St. Jude's. St. Jude's, yeah. And uh, and they got along great. And but Danny Danny carried a uh, a derringer on his. He had a little a little holster on his uh, on his leg down. And one day he was in the in the uh, dressing room, and he. He, he took it out, and Hope saw it, and he said, what is that? He says, oh, you, you have one, don't you? And he says, no, are you kidding? Hope was very, very uh, skittish about firearms, you know. So uh, he, he was not happy. He said, is that, it's not loaded, is it? Danny says, why would I have an unloaded gun? So, and that was a, that was a weird little story. That, and I'm, I'm standing there, and, and Hope is like, you know, pale because he was definitely afraid of uh, small arms. He had been deafened in one ear by a, a prop gun in an early movie, and uh, just didn't uh, didn't take to being around guns unless Secret Service agents had them. Then it was okay. Then it was they, okay. He was they he were was trained. Being yeah, they were trained. But that was Danny Tom. He was a character. He's very different, very different kind of guy. But uh, nice guy, fun to work with. My favorite guy to work with was uh, Jack Lemon. Just the sweetest man you ever want to meet. He, he just, he had the same attitude that he had had in college. He used to put on uh, musicals and he played the piano well, played jazz piano and could sit down and, and just play and just loved people and uh, loved us and loved working with all the people on the Bob Hope specials. And we always uh, look forward to having Jack on for that reason. I really Miss him because he was a he was a terrific guy. Well, we've lost so many of these people. This guy, I was leaping through my book and I'm thinking, God, this seems like yesterday, you know. And, uh, yeah. <clears throat> Ronald Reagan. Ronald Reagan. Yeah. The last time I saw him was Bob's uh, 90th birthday. Uh, he had a big, uh, big 
they, <laughs> Dolores paid to have a, a tent uh, put in the backyard, and it was a great big circus tent, three poles. She had a big stage in the center. We had the Les Brown Band in the center. We had a big lineup of stars, Don Rickles was one of the headliners, and Milton Berle and uh, Jack Carter and a whole bunch of comics and uh, dancers and singers. And, oh, it was some night. It was just something else. And Reagan came, and uh, they, the theme of it was a carnival. So uh, <laughs> I saw him walking along, and he's got uh, like a... Uh, shopping bag, only a canvas shopping bag, and says on it, uh, I helped Bob celebrate his 90th, or I celebrated Bob's 90th. And he's got all these Cupid dolls that he had won. Yeah. <laughs> and the thing, I'm thinking, God, <laughs> how, how long could you, uh, I mean, who would imagine that you'd see, you know, an ex-president? He was ex-president then, I think. Yeah, 19, Bob was 90, what year, Walden? That was uh, 1993. 93, right. Yeah, so Reagan held office by five years. Yeah. Yeah. So it was a big night, and we had uh, a lot of security and uh, a lot of television coverage. And So at the end of the thing, we were all saying goodnight, and uh, I uh, said to Dolores as we're leaving, I said, Dolores, this was just fabulous, and you did such a great job. And uh, and she said, and they had an ice cream, they had a, a Baskin-Robbins ice cream shop at one end of the tent. I mean, it was just great. And it was a sit-down dinner, uh, a rack of lamb for 400 people sitting down. And wow. I said, God, I, I, this must have cost a fortune, uh, Dolores. And she said, it did, Bob. And when, when Bob hears how much, you'll hear him screaming all the way to your house. <laughs> and she knew I lived in Studio City, which is the next town over from Toluca Lake. So, uh, <laughs> She she pulled out all the stops for Bob's 90th, but that was the last time that I saw Reagan. But we had uh, we had done specials with him. I talk about uh, him dropping in at Pope Air Force Base on the spur of the moment mm -hmm. in Air Force One. Can you imagine being able to call the president and say, "We're taping a show down here. Can you drop in?" And he <laughs> says, "Sure." And does he it. did. Yeah, and he did. So that's that story's in there. And all these people are going to love this book because uh, they don't know how all these stories come out. They are going to love this book. It's The so. Laugh Makers, available at Bear Manor Media or um, Amazon.com. Amazon.com. And, uh, and also, here's a, this just came out about a week and a half ago. I did an audio version of the book. <gasps> I read the book. It's uh, 11 hours and 40 minutes, so you can... You can drive from Los Angeles to Montreal and <laughs> listen to the book, and you never hear the same chapter twice. But anyway, you can tell, you know, I, I do narrate it. Uh, it's, uh, it's very, they did a fabulous job, and it's got musical bridges and things between the, uh, the uh, chapters and stuff. And that's on audible.com. That's easy to find, too. Audible.com is the audio division of Amazon.com. So uh -huh. remember that, audible.com and Amazon.com, and uh, you can hear me and also read me. Just read along and listen to me. That is you great. Know. This is unabridged? This is word yes. for word? Word for word. In fact, it's an interesting wow. thing how I did it. I, I, re I record for the blind and dyslexic in Los Angeles, been doing it for years, and uh, they wanted me to read my book uh, for them, and I said, gee, you've got all this equipment here. Uh, if I can get my publisher to agree to... Uh, shoot over 5% of anything we make on this, uh, could I uh, 
get the commercial rights to the to the discs that I'm making. And well, highly unusual, you know, nobody had ever done it before, and so they had a board meeting, and you dangle money in front of an outfit like that, and they, they said, yes, you can do it. So uh, I didn't have to uh, go into another studio and read it. I uh, I read it for them, and uh, we used that, uh, that same, but I've been doing it for so long that um, I'm very good at it, you know. All I had to do was go back in and take all the page numbers out, because uh, for recording for the blind and dyslexic, you, you've used them, haven't you, Walden? Uh-huh, I sure do. It's a great service. Yeah, it's a, it's great a fabulous service. service, and we do a lot of uh, textbooks, and I was reading a novel the other day. I go down, read two hours a week. So it took me 11 hours and 40 minutes or more to uh, do it, and uh, it's uh, it just came out uh, better than I could have expected. Uh, I think anybody who gets that will uh, enjoy, and it's great for, like, commuting, in your car and it's a lot of stories so you, you don't it's not like you have to listen to it all at once you know it's not like a mystery if you miss a, no. a chapter in the yeah. middle you're and not missing life you can actually go to different sections yeah you can read it out of order there's no particular chronological thing to it i uh, divided the book up into different uh, sections and topics and things but it's it's very breezy and i think it's easy reading it's kind of like bunch of magazine articles, don't you think? Because I'm, I'm running a, good, a lot of excerpts now on uh, to promote the book, and uh, they do make great excerpts because every story in there makes a good magazine excerpt. It's got a little payoff, you know. You, you are absolutely right, and you yeah. do not have to run an entire chapter and, no. and dig around and say, well, okay, this is a good sentence, and that's a good sentence. And it made a little Malton top 20 books of the year, didn't it, Bob? Yeah, it did. It, uh, Leonard Malton, uh, I was so happy... Uh, He's such a nice guy, and I just happened to give him a copy of it. I thought he would enjoy reading it. I, little did I know that he even had a top 20 list. So when I heard that uh, he had chosen it as one of the top 20 entertainment books of 2009, I was, like, thrilled. So uh, it was uh, good things happened to good people. Good things happen to good yeah, people. It's a right. great book. Bob, it really is a great book. Oh, thank you. Thank you, I Patricia. sat down and I started reading. You know, sometimes you sit down and you say, well, okay, I read three chapters. I'll go get something to eat. Well, yeah. I read three chapters and then I read three more and I never went to get something to eat. So wow. um, it, it was it's really a good read. Bob, from your point of view, what made Bob Hope so lovable to so many people? Oh, I think he was basically a, a very nice person to, to start with. I never saw him, for instance, turn down an autograph in all the years. And believe me, when you're traveling with somebody that big, uh, he's being set upon all the time. And uh, they had a, a respect for him, though. And we'd be in a restaurant, and he would motion to them to wait off to the side. And then as soon as we were finished with our business and eating, he would... Uh, sign their autographs and so he had that way about him he never forgot uh that he got where he was because of his fans as soon as the fans uh don't like you anymore you're finished and he he knew that and but he liked people basically anyway and i i've i've said many times i think he was the quintessential salesman that i ever saw he just he knew how to sell the concept of Bob Hope, which is really a product. And by the time uh, I came along, he had been selling Bob Hope for decades. And I used to watch him. He would be uh, 
watching himself in an old clip or something, and he would say, watch what he does here. What he does. Like, you know, it's somebody else. Because <laughs> uh -huh. years before, you know, he, he had a great memory. He, he remembered people's names. He, he was a thoughtful type guy. And uh, people just like those kinds of people, you know. If you had somebody in your family like him, you'd like him. He just was likable. Just likable. Did you have, or did anybody have, even an inkling that the shows would be so in, uh, so durable that, that they would have an endurance factor? Uh, well, do they? The question is, do they? Uh, because we did a lot of topical references at the time, so I don't know that if you replayed uh, some of the shows that we did in the old days, a lot of the political references you wouldn't you wouldn't get. You know, when I when I quote stuff in the book, I'll explain if it's not very clear mm -hmm. what the references to. But um, no, I it's funny you ask that because uh, I cut my teeth on the uh, Dean Martin roasts, and uh, Greg Garrison was very careful on the roast to make sure that we weren't using any contemporary references. So you never hear names of politicians or anything like that or news items uh, on the show and so they hold up today because there's nothing in there except jokes that uh, were generic types of things and didn't uh, refer to anything specifically uh -huh. at that time and that's why they sell like mad on uh, I should be getting rich uh, <laughs> I, I'm not. I, I don't understand. It's not filtering down to me. But uh, Dean, get Dean you. is still very popular now. I mean, those things, uh, he does very well, and they sell them late at night on cable. And uh -huh. It was a great show. It really was, and it was different, and it was all laughs. No, uh, no singing, no music, just yeah. one comic after another, and we had a lot of fun. I think you may have just differentiated that show from Bob Hope's shows in that it really was all funny. Everybody yeah. stood up. There was no performance. Everybody was funny. And on the other end, Bob Hope performed. Exactly it, right, yeah. It he, wasn't just um, making funny comments no. or poking he, fun at someone. Well, he, started, he, he started out in vaudeville as a dancer, so he loved dancing. Uh -huh. He loved music. He loved to sing. And uh, you put all that together, and that's a, that's a little bundle of talent right there. You know, he could do yeah. a lot of different things. But speaking of the roast, uh, Don Rickles was a guest on uh, David Letterman night before last, and they talked about the roast. And uh, we had Rickles on a lot. And we'd, we'd love to have him so much that if he was booked, and we used to do the roasts up in uh, Las Vegas, and we would go up there for a weekend, and we'd usually do six shows. We'd do three on Saturday and three on Sunday, hour-long shows, and uh, in the big ballroom there at the MGM Grand, the old one, not the new one. And uh, if Rickles wasn't available, what we would do is we'd get him back in Burbank, and we would put cardboard cutouts of all the guests who had been in Las Vegas, and then just tape him at the podium looking down the line. Ah, ah, Reagan, I ah, haven't seen you, Red Red Bunny, do the stick, right? And he's talking to a cardboard cutout. <laughs> and we watch this and we think, God, television is so phony, you know, who would, who would have guessed? But <laughs> oh, that's, that is really good. Yeah, and he was the only one that uh, Greg Garrison said, we don't need a script for him, just turn him loose. 
And then on our show, the only guy that we did that with was Jonathan Winters, whom we had on many times. And uh, we would we would give him a general outline of what he was playing and how it all fit together. But uh, no no single lines for him to learn or to read off the of cue cards. Mm -hmm. We just I'm he would just add lip stuff. Yeah, I was just going to say, um, my guess is if you gave it to him, it wouldn't make any difference anyway. No, that's right. And so they, they just gave up. But uh, those are guys who can do it, you know. And yeah. When you've got somebody that sharp like Rickles and, uh, and Jonathan Winters. And there again, look at, look at the talents I was privileged to work with. I just can't believe it. And Don Rickles still hanging in there. And he, he's on there promoting on David Letterman the new, uh, uh, sh uh, let's see, Shrek. No, mm -hmm. no, there's Toy Story. Toy Story 4 is coming out. And he plays the, um, the uh, potato, Mr. Potato Head. <laughs> and I said to my wife, you know, and they show a scene from Mr. Potato Head with his voice. He sounds exactly the same now as he always has. Although, you look at him, he's in his 80s. I think he's like 86 or 87 years old. And, but his voice is still sharp, and that's why... He keeps doing these sequels. Otherwise, they'd get somebody who sounded like Don Rickles used to sound, right? But uh, he's, he's a survivor, boy. He's hanging in there. He's something, and he's still funny as hell. He has... He is another one who is unique. Uh, one of the things you mentioned in your book, and I didn't write it down even in one of my questions, but I think it's great. You don't... You can't recall anyone trying to imitate Bob Hope. Everybody does Richard Nixon. Everybody does. Yeah. Everybody does somebody, but not Bob Hope. Well, they Why? tried. I mean, there were there were impressionists who tried, but he's just for some reason very difficult to do. The closest one uh, was Dave Thomas, who used to uh, be um, SCTV was a Canadian group uh, out of Canada, and uh, he did a fairly good uh, Bob Hope. In fact, one of our writers. Uh, Jeffrey Barron had worked on SCTV and knew Dave and kept telling Bob Hope, uh, you know, this guy does you great, Bob. you got to hear him. Well, yeah, yeah, bring him over when he's in town. So he did. Brought him over to Hope's dressing room. And here's Dave, <laughs> you know, having to, uh, to pretend he's Bob Hope and Bob Hope's sitting right there. That's <laughs> tough. That's tough, you know. So Hope's just looking at him, and he's going, oh, yeah, but I want to tell you, ah, yeah, but I, isn't that great? Isn't that great? Let's bring out the gals. And uh, <laughs> Hope says, I really sound like that. <laughs> How did I ever get by this long? And he, people don't think, you know, they sound like they really sound. People yeah. imitate yeah. you. Uh, <laughs> none of us get imitated because we're not famous, but people used to do uh, Jimmy Stewart, and he'd say, I don't talk like that. But that's the way we heard it, right? Yes. He didn't yeah. hear himself talking like that. How <clears throat> long is this show anyway, Walden? God's sake. Six, six hours, Bob. It's 3 a.m. here. <laughs> well, guess what? You know I I'm have... in Hong Kong. <laughs> this thing goes on and on. This, well, is gonna, this is longer than the book. Oh, no. Bob, really? Did we say? You said we could talk until your voice yeah, wore I... out. <laughs> and I, I took you at your word. I do oh, have one more question, God. though. Okay. Are you, are you ready? Yes. What do you miss most about that era? Oh, I think oh, I miss the excitement. There, every day was exciting. You would, you would wake up in the morning, and 
this one exciting thing would happen after another. Either you'd be on the road with him and meeting uh, a lot of people that you would never meet otherwise, you know, royalty. It's just excitement. And when we were shooting stuff, there'd be Secret Service men all over the place and politicians. And I talk about uh, like that. Uh, we opened the Gerald Ford uh, Museum and Library in Grand Rapids. And uh, the, I mean, the guest list read like a Christmas party at the UN. We had all these heads of state, Mexican President uh, Lopez Portillo, his name was at the time, and Valerie Gustard d'Estaing from France. And uh, uh, oh, we had the Reagans there, and uh, Teddy Kennedy, and uh, uh, Lady Bird Johnson. And, and then all the stars that we had on the show, and there were about 10 of them. It was a great big thing. It got covered in uh, Time magazine. And we took over this whole, this whole hotel. Well, you, you just wake up, and, and uh, this exciting one exciting thing after another. So one morning, I'm there, and I hear some noise out in the hallway, and I open the door. It's very early, about 6 a.m., and I open the door. And there's these young guys in suits, and they're road testing their Dick Tracy radios, you know. Come in, oh, yes, this is over. <laughs> it's Secret Service agents, you know. So I said, what's going on, guys? He says, oh, sorry, sir. Um, we're just testing our radios here. And uh, um, I said, well, God, aren't there a lot of guests that you're waking up? Oh, no, no, there are no other guests on this floor except you and uh, our clients. <laughs> so I was on the same floor as Nancy and Ron. night. <laughs> I mean, tell me that's not exciting, right? I mean, nobody told me, right? So, there aren't a lot of people who could claim that kind of a story. You're right. It's just, this is weird. So I was going, uh, you, you're going back and forth to your room and, and traveling around the hotel. So one day I'm at the elevator and I press the thing to uh, go up to Hope's Suite, talk over something, and uh, I see the, the floors are going by, ding, 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 ding. Finally it gets to my floor. The door's open and looking straight at me, left to right, like they're posing for a class picture somewhere, was Henry Kissinger, uh, Lady Bird Johnson, Tip O'Neill, uh, two or three other people, and then a uh, couple of performers, I think uh, maybe uh, uh, Pearl Bailey. <laughs> and uh, I look at all these people, and I just say, no, I think I'll, <laughs> I'll wait until the civilian version comes by. So they, they all laugh, and Henry Kissinger goes, <laughs> and the thing closes, <laughs> and I wait for the next one. But, and you know, what kind of, uh, how are you going to have things like that happen in your life? And you, you, you look and you say, what am I doing here? And I, I always was very, uh, very appreciative of being able to uh, experience these things. And it never got old hat to me, you know. I never got tired of it. It doesn't sound like it. And you certainly put the spark in the book, Bob. Tell them where they can get the book. Yes, uh, Bear Manor Media. Uh, yeah, BearManorMedia.com, uh, Amazon.com, and uh, uh, what did I say? Audible. Audio. No, what, what's the audio? Audible.com. Yeah, it's Audible. Uh, and it? also, uh, Bear, Man Bear Manor also had their own audio website, BearMannerAudio.com, too. Yeah, they have a version also. Yeah. True. Great. That's true. And, audio. And your blog address. Oh, my blog address is uh, www.laughmakers.com. 
dot blogspot, B-L-O-G-S-P-O-T dot com. And that is uh, uh, sample chapters from the book. That's the uh, two chapters on China and photos in there, too. So you can, you can bring that up and see what the book looks like so you don't commit uh, to with little information. You'll see how and it I, looks. And how about your radio show, Bob? Where can people hear the show? Uh, I, I discontinued that. You did? Yeah, I ran out of, uh... Ran out of stuff. They read my book, they, and it's got, I think, one or two more weeks to go, and I said to Jolie, I said, uh, I'm so busy promoting the book now that, uh... And plus, I, I kind of, I, I was doing it seven years. Yeah. And, uh, so, I kind of, that's a, that's a good run for any... That's not bad. Mm-hmm. What about radio. Bereft on the Left? Oh, Bereft on the Left, yeah, that's a daily topical... Uh, see, when I when I stopped doing television, I was so used to uh, reading a newspaper and thinking of material for Bob. I thought, well, I'll keep doing this for like uh, disc jockeys and stuff, which I did for years and used to do it. Uh, it was first a fax uh, service, and then I it was a newsletter. Now it's uh, at www. Bereft on the left. It's B-E-R-E-F-T-O-N-T-H-E-L-E-F-T dot blogspot dot com. Blogspot is the Google free uh, sites where you have a, a blog. And uh, it's a great service, by the way. And you can set up your own blog in five minutes. You just bring up blogger dot com and, and you can make a blog just following directions, which I did and I've been using it for a long time. But that, I, I put that out every single day and uh, update it, and that has a lot of photos, too. That's called, uh, a section called Dr. Digit's, uh, <laughs> Digit, <laughs> Dr. Digit is the blogologist to the stars, and uh, he's, he's got a lot of photos in there of the old days. Uh, Bob, I'm a former nurse. A lot of memories. Oh, you are. Yes, <laughs> I am. Great. Well, Long time ago, but um, there are some things that don't go away. That was <laughs> yeah, so, right. Well, you get to a certain good. age, and uh, you you know these words. <laughs> yes, I do. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I made that up. Blogologist, you know. Oh uh, no, no, no. Anyway, but I just, uh, uh, yeah, I, it's the the the, the uh, blog is kind of a left leaning kind of thing. I I was the most liberal um, writer that Hope ever had. Most of the guys were were more conservative than than I. That's interesting. And he, but he liked the uh, he liked the variation. He didn't want everybody to be the same, and he didn't like yes men. I have a whole section in there about how he detested stars who uh, or yes men who uh, get around stars and say yes to everything. They come up mm-hmm. with ideas and things. If you uh, wanted to disagree with them and you thought you were right, he respected you for doing that. He wanted people who would. You know, tell him if there was mm-hmm. a better way to do something, or tell him before he made a mistake. Yeah. And I've got some stories about how we did just that, and how he uh, he loved us for it. Although he would fight sometimes. <laughs> but if you held your held your uh, your ground with him, and you knew, plus he respected us. He really did, and we respected him too. And uh, that's a great great thing when uh, employer and employee are. Sort of like equals, not mm-hmm. income wise, but yeah. <laughs> at least you know yeah. uh, you you really have that uh, that mutual respect. And we mm-hmm. would have uh, followed him off a cliff, and he knew it, and he respected loyalty, and he was loyal to a fault himself. And uh, so, 
It's well, encouraging I, I that think he... in the book, it, it all comes out. A lot of uh, personality traits that he had come out from the stories that I tell in the book. Rather than mm -hmm. saying he was a certain way, I tell stories, and then you can conclude. And that's my legal background. I, I decided not to... Uh, uh, to give any opinions in there because people don't care what I think about uh, anything, you know. But I'm going to tell you stories accurately, like a witness would do, and then uh, you, as the jury, uh, decide um, whether you uh, believe what I'm saying. Of course, you will, because uh, who else can? Uh, I I was always on the cruise ships, and I was always uh, very confident because I knew nobody could stand up in the in the audience and say, you're wrong on that. You know, <laughs> if I didn't have anything in the book that I wasn't present for, if I didn't see it myself. Uh -huh. And uh, there are very few stories in there that came from very reliable sources. But other than that, uh, most Not hearsay, first person. <laughs> yeah, and I was only challenged once. Uh, always at the end, you know, uh, you ask for questions, and a, a guy raised his hand in the back, and he says, I have a bone to pick with you. And I thought, oh, boy. This will be good. What's your problem? You have an error in here. You, you, you're saying something wrong. And I said, what? Uh, Bob Hope uh, was a six handicap. I said, no, no, no. Bing Crosby was a six. Bob got to be an eight, and that's as good a golfer as he ever was, and he was more often a 12, and he was a 12 for a long time. But Bing, Bing was the better golfer handicap-wise, because Bing practiced more, and uh, Hope used to say that. But he had a, an Achilles heel, and that was the four-foot putt, which you're supposed to be able to make. But uh, it's it's tricky if you look at a four-foot putt. You know, it's a little bit little bit longer. But anything beyond four feet, you're supposed to get it close, and it's all right. But you're supposed to sink a four-footer. So Bing uh, had a, a mental quirk about four-footers. So he'd come up on the green, and he'd say to Bob, Bob would have maybe a ten-footer. And Bing would have a four-footer, and Bing would say, well, my friend, I'll give you mine if you give me yours, and we'll, uh, we'll square on this hole. And, and Hope would say, no, Bing, I think I'd like to see you sink that one. <laughs> and as soon as I'd say that, his knees, you could see them just start to shake, and that would be it. He would not make that putt. So the two of them uh, <laughs> had a lot of fun on the court. But, uh, no, that, the, the uh, handicap, and I got that straight from Hope, so maybe... Maybe he hedged it a little bit, but you know he he was uh, he, he was quick to point out that uh, Bing's short game was good because he said every time he would uh, look for Bing, he'd be out out by his trailer, chipping with a nine iron or a sand wedge, and that's when you get really uh, the money game is in that little short game, you know. That is serious stuff. Yeah, yeah, isn't it? But the little things that you uh, you wouldn't know otherwise. So you learned a lot tonight, folks. You know, I learned get that book. I got to pay for this house. Yeah, um, I, I have the book. I have the book. It's wonderful. I hope everybody else gets it. BearmannerMedia.com, Amazon.com, Audible.com. That's it. Audible.com. And next time I see you, I'll uh, I'll uh, inscribe it for you with a nice little inscription. And it'll be worth. You have a first edition inscribed cool. by the author. Yeah. Isn't that great? Very and, cool. And people can write to me, too. If you think of something out there, folks, that you wanted to ask and you didn't call in, you can write to me. Very easy to remember my uh, email address. It's the name of the book, thelaughmakers at gmail.com. Thelaughmakers at gmail.com. 
I want you to flood me with fan mail. Say, <laughs> great I'm going to flood you with a thank you. You are absolutely wonderful, and I do appreciate your spending so much time with us tonight. Oh, you will thank never you, again. Yourself. You will never again tell anyone we can go until my voice gives out. I'll sleep for a week. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not getting any younger here. I've oh. aged since we started. I don't mind. I've got to see the blogtologist. Okay. <laughs> Thanks a lot, guys. All right, Bob. And, Thank and, you, Bob. Uh, Have a great... It's been a pleasure. You bet. I'll talk to you soon. Pleasure. Okay, doke. All right. Bye. Good night. And there's the one and only Bob Mills. What a great guy and what a great interview. That is just super. I'm so happy that he spent the time with us. Well, I need Patricia and I'm going to stretch for a minute or two. And I got some trivia questions. <gasps> you do, too? Yeah. Patricia got hers, but, well... But while Patricia and Bob are talking, I came up with two on my own. Boy, I, and I have one for you tonight. Oh, good. So, I do. Since so, I'll be very happy. So, this is going to be good. Paul will be happy. Patricia got a stump rolling question. And I have a trivia question about today. And one of the personalities that Patricia and Bob talk about. But uh, you, everybody will give us a couple minutes to relax, stretch, and we'll be back. Open the phone. And we'd love to play trivia with you tonight. So right back. So we'll be right back, everybody. And here, Patricia's little introduction. Radio stations have birthdays like everybody else, and today we are celebrating ours, the 40th anniversary of broadcasting, entertainment, news, sports, and information to the people of the Pacific Coast from San Francisco. It was in 1922 that KNBC, then known as KPO, began program service. Many famous entertainers and many historic events were beamed out over the airways during our 40 years of broadcasting. In 1951, when the NBC radio network was celebrating its 25th anniversary, the then popular comedy team of Fibber McGee and Molly did a special broadcast that eavesdropped on some of the great shows of radio. Since then, Molly Jordan has passed on, and Fibber is living in retirement in Encino, California. Twelve years have slipped by since Fibber McGee and Molly's 25th... famous broadcast of Fibber McGee and Molly, during which you will hear the voices of Joe Penner, Fred Allen, Ben Burney, W.C. Fields, Edgar Bergen, and Charlie McCarthy, and many, many other favorites from out of the past, starring Fibber McGee and Molly. Our Silver Jubilee, the 25th birthday of the National Broadcasting Company. Like any birthday, the birthday of NBC is a time for reflection and recollection. Were you listening to Ed Wynn at 9.30 on a Tuesday night in 1932? At 7 o'clock on a Wednesday evening in 1929, were you listening to Amos and Andy? Or were you listening to Rudy Valley's Great Variety Show at 8 o'clock on a Thursday evening in 1934? Ah, oh, these were great moments in the history of NBC, and ordinarily it would be impossible to relive them. But we are fortunate in having had with us for the past 20 years a man to whom nothing is impossible. I refer, of course, to the resident of 79 Wistful Vista, Molly's husband, Fibber McGee. 
As we look in on the McGee's, Fibber is tinkering with his old 1926 super heterodyne radio set. He is, in fact, known as the biggest tinker in radio. Mrs. McGee makes a fairly safe statement. She says... It'll never work, McGee. What do you mean, it'll never work? My gosh, Molly. Let me get this straight again. Huh? You claim that you can fix this radio set so it'll tune in programs that were broadcast 20 years ago? 25 years ago, even. I'm rewiring it so I can tune it to different years instead of different stations, you see? No, I don't. Well, look, Tootsie, according to the McGee theory of radio Dianetics, which I'm the guy that thought it up, I claim that when you hear a broadcast once, that ain't necessarily the end of it, you see? It don't just disappear. In other words, old radio programs never die. <laughs> I know one that dies every Tuesday night. Well, that ain't what I mean. I mean that they're still out there, bouncing around in the air, waiting for somebody to tune them in again. And I'm the guy that can do it. What's our congressman's phone number? Why? Well, if there isn't a law against that, I'll help him write one. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you change your mind when I get this baby working, Molly. We can make a few more adjustments here. Get the king bolt tightened up a little bit. I'll be ready to try it and... You want to buy a duck? No, I'm not interested in any poultry, bud. I'm trying to... Hey, who said that? Why, I don't know, McGee. There's nobody here but us. I'll gonna turn off the radio, will you, Molly, while I work on this? Radio. Hey, the radio. It's working. You hear it, Molly? It works. Hush, listen. My goodness, it sounds like New Year's Eve, McGee. I wonder where that... Boy, is. oh boy, I told you I could make it work and... You nasty boy! McGee! That, that's Joe Penner. Why, he used to be one listen. of... Listen. Elsa. Remember him? Ben Burney? Oh, yes. I used to love him. Part of time. Everybody wants to get into the act. My God. Tony Wan. <laughs> oh, McGee, that's Jimmy Durante. Oh, yeah, Jimmy Durante. Boy, this is wonderful. Gee whiz, I can tune in any program I want. Hush a minute, hush. Let's listen to this one first. What year and hour are we listening to? I can't tell yet. The dates are all scrambled up on the dial here, but I can fix that. And my name, darling, is Lula Bankhead. Did you hear that? I got Congress, Senator Bankhead. No, no, that got is... got a deep voice on him, hasn't he? No, McGee, that was... Shh. My goodness, this is exciting, McGee. Can you tune in just any program you want to hear? Anything back to 1926. That's when the first big network started. NBC in 1926. Oh? That's when we bought this old super heterodyne, remember? Oh, do I remember. Yeah. You lugged this thing home, strung about 200 feet of aerial around the roof, plugged it in, turned it on, and blew out fuses that we didn't even know we had. Yeah, but remember the first program we ever heard on it? There was a, a band out, out in Kansas City. Oh, yes, the Nighthawks. Yeah, that's it. Yes. Coon Sanders and their Kansas City Nighthawks. Yeah. Wait till I tune this. The year 1926. There. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. This is Pat Kelly greeting you from Kansas City, where NBC is presenting the Coon Sanders Nighthawks Orchestra. Oh, that's it, McGee. That's them. Relax and enjoy yourselves now while the Coon Sanders Nighthawks go to work on some of these days. I told you this baby would work, kiddo. <laughs> boy, oh boy, is this ever jazzy. Wonderful. Terrific. 
Isn't this nostalgic, McGee? Yeah. Brings back a lot of memories, too. Remember the night we put this radio out on the front porch and threw a block party for the neighbors? Oh, wasn't that fun? <laughs> we put up ropes and danced in the street. You did a pretty sharp Charleston, too. Yeah, I'd have done even better if the street had been paved. Gravel kept getting in my shoes. I had a new dress for that night, remember? <laughs> it was trimmed with monkey fur and had a hemline just below my knees. That must have been around uh, 1928, wasn't it? Yeah, that's when it was, around election time. Big argument broke out about Al Smith and Hoover. Yes, and you tried to explain to me which one would make the best president. Only you weren't sure yourself, and... Wait, listen. Now, ladies and gentlemen, Amos and Andy would like to say a few words to their listeners. Listen, Amos, you don't know politics like I do. Uh, tell me this, though. Uh, why can't they have a Democrat and a Republican president at the same time? Let Hoover be president for one week and Al Smith be president for next week, you see. Ain't no use to have no hard feelings. Amos, the president of the country, don't have nothing to do now. The trouble with that is the Republican would get everything messed up for the Democrats and vice versa. And what? Vice versa. He ain't running, is he? Who ain't running? Bryce Vizzers. I didn't say Bryce Vizzers. I said Vice Vizzers. Is he a Democrat or a Republican? Uh oh. Listen, Amos, the Farm Association. You take the Hogan McDarry bill. Take it where? Take it anywhere. What is I going to do with it? That is the question. It was vetoed. It was? And not only that, the farmers are so mad about the Hogan McDarry bill being vetoed. Today is liable to elect the candidate for the vice president, president. Well, what do Coolidge say about all this? He do not choose. Maybe his wife made him stop doing that. The thing we has got to do, Amos, is to make up our minds if we is going to be Republican or Democrat. I believe I'll be a Democrat. Well, I'm going to be a Republican. You go ahead, be a Democrat. You is crazy. You is all right, ain't you? Certainly I was all right. Then I'm glad I was crazy. You know, that's the clearest explanation I've ever heard, McGee. Oh, that's about the way I explained it to you at the time, Molly. Them guys just simplified it a little and... Tune in some more. Go ahead. Get some music. Okay. Remember the music appreciation hour? Oh, Spike Jones, sure. <laughs> Let me see if I can get that. I'd like to hear that. No, no, that was Walter Damrosch, McGee. Watch your language. You know, he always used to open up with... Good morning, my dear children. I've had no chance before, so if it's not too late, let me wish you a happy new year. And may it bring you lots of music and a greater and greater affection for it so that you really become music lovers. Hey, you do a good imitation, Molly. Sounded just like... Oh, that was him. I didn't realize you were tuning the set yourself and you could... Oh. Listen.
Saturday night, May 29th here, 2010, and hello, Patricia. Hello, Walden, except in Florida, it is Sunday, and Sunday is May 30th, and May 30th is our friend Ron's birthday, Ron in Honolulu. Happy birthday, and please call in and let us say it to you in real person. How about that? Happy birthday, Ron. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, birthday to, to you. you. Happy birthday, dear Ron. Happy birthday, birthday to, to you. you. Boy, for a musician to have to listen to that. <laughs> Ron, please call and let me apologize for having um, sung happy birthday to you, and let me say happy birthday in person. So I hope he does call in tonight. That's good. Any other little goodies on Patricia Quest? Anybody that we need to hear from? Oh, well, we always need to hear from somebody. Cassie needs to hear from me. I've got your envelope all packed and ready to drop in the mailbox. That's good. Seal sent a note and um, said that she wasn't feeling very well this week, but she has her ears on tonight and That's she's good. listening to us. That's good. Um, I have just given up on Neil and Craig and Don, ah. so maybe they will call in and let us know where I can send some CDs to them. Yep. <clears throat> and what else? Is that it? And I need I a dot on my map. Gosh darn it, I haven't had a dot in I don't know how long. I get a dot when a new caller calls in. Um, and I've got some really pretty pink dots all over the place, but I've got a lot of empty holes. And gosh, the more dots we have, that means the more people are calling in. And the happier so. Patricia is. We love, we love having Patricia happy. So please, you can do that very easily by calling 714 Five four five two zero seven one. It'll make Patricia a happy camper, and I can relax easy for another week. <laughs> yes, you can. Oh, that's funny. Yes, please take the pressure off Walden and call and say hi. You can either just say hi or play trivia with our regular trivia questions. I'll give some of them in a couple of minutes. Or play super trivia with us for two CDs. When you play regular trivia, you get three questions. I need one correct answer. You get one CD. With super duper bonus trivia, you get one question. I get one answer. And if it's right, you get two CDs. How's that? That sounds good. All right. Are you ready for a bonus question right out of the chute? Let's go. This is the one you asked me, and I'm so proud of myself, I knew the answer. Good. About Tonto's horse? Yes, tell me about Tonto's horse. Well, Walden asked me this question, oh, and I knew the answer. Did everybody hear that? I knew the answer. <laughs> Tonto rode a horse named Scout, but that was not the horse's first name. He was named something else before.
before they came up with the name Scout. What was it? What was the original name of Tonto's horse? <laughs> Dial early. Avoid the rush. 714-545-2071. And if you want to bypass trivia and just say hi, that is very way cool, too. Yeah. Are we having fun yet? We're having fun, and Patricia will be on next Saturday at the top of the show. That means what time? At 10.30 Eastern. 10.30 Eastern. That means she has to wake up from her nap and join, be with me at the top of the show. I see what tonight. I can do that. Good. I good. don't need a nap. You don't need a nap. Oh, good heavens, I never take naps. Naps are so painful. <laughs> you know why they're painful, right? <laughs> You just don't want to wake up twice in one day. That's exactly it. Yeah. That is exactly it. So next week I will be here at 1030. This is great. Yeah. That's why Patricia will be up and about and doing things. I can make a little announcement. Please. You can find you can find Walter and Patricia on Facebook. We can? Yes. I uh, Thanks to Larry Gassman, I have myself a Facebook page. And I just mentioned that I have a co-host, Frank, on Friday and Patricia on Saturday. Okay. But anybody who want to contact me via Facebook, they can. Okay, something new. And I oh. put that together. So just in case you want to find me, I'm there. So that's, that's what the latest news is on that whole front. And Walden has an email address, waldenhughes at yesterdayusa.com. Yes. And I have an email address, floridawriter at hotmail.com. That's S-L-O-R-I-D-A-W-R-I-T-E-R, Florida Writer, all squished together, no spaces, at hotmail.com. How about that? Yes. Tonight, tonight, tonight. Tonight I would like to talk about breakfast cereals. I think last week I promised soap, and I haven't had... Ooh, I didn't do some of my homework. I did other homework instead. Um, I did not do all of my research on soaps, but I do have some ads. But we'll save that for next week, if that's okay. That's okay. And tonight, I would like to talk about breakfast cereals. How many cereals can you remember from how far back? How many of them did you eat? Which ones had premiums that you really, really, really wanted it. Mm -hmm. Which ones did you eat because they had premiums that you really, really, really wanted, not because the cereals were good? Which cereals did you wish you would never have to eat again? Maybe something that your mom put in front of you. But anyway, anything that you can remember about cereals, from premiums to box tops to names to sponsors, just anything at all that you can remember about breakfast cereals. That would be very cool. Super duper. So now I have something else. Maybe I should just give some trivia questions before I do something else, huh? Why don't you do that? I'm going to go turn on the fan. It's warm tonight around here. I don't know Ooh, why. How warm is it? I already have my fan on. Well, you you, you, you talk to the people and I'll go turn my fan on. It's just four feet away. Talk, That's okay. Talk go to the family, okay? Go turn your fan on. Okay, we have... Um, we have some interesting trivia questions for tonight. The first one is a Fibber question. Fibber calls one of the characters Arrowsmith. Hi there, Arrowsmith. How are you doing? I Who does he that. call Arrowsmith? Oh, that's a good one. I like yeah. that. Yeah, you like that one? Mm-hmm. Okay. Next one. Almost every week, Fibber and Molly had Mert the operator on the phone. Was Mert 
always an unseen character, or did Mert ever show up in person? I know the answer to that one. Oh, you know the answer to everything except the one that I'm going to ask you. <laughs> and the third one is, where did the Great Gildersleeve live? That's a pretty good one. 714-545-2071. Can I give three clues to the Great Gildersleeve? Three clues? Yeah. It wasn't Wistful Vista is one of them. <laughs> I don't know. It, it, was, it was not Anaheim, Azusa, and Cucamonga. <laughs> Anaheim, Azusa, and Santa Fe? Cucamonga. Oh, shoot. Oh, how could I remember? Not not remember Cucamonga. Yeah. Okay, where did Gildy live? Okay, so we need answers to Fibber called one of the show's characters Arrowsmith as a nickname. Which character was it? Almost every week, Fibber and Molly had Mert on the telephone, but she was only a character on the phone. However, did she ever show up on the show, or did she stay on the phone permanently? So those are the three questions for regular trivia. The bonus question is, what was the first name, the original name of Tonto's horse? We know the horse as Scout, but it was not the first name that... They chose for that horse. So we need the answer to that. And I have two questions I have to throw on the table. Whoa, okay. They, they came up, they came, I thought about them when Patricia and Bob Mills were talking. What? First one. Today, May 29, 1942, with a very famous song recorded. I want to know the song. And what a Bob Hope best friend did the song. That's trivia really? question number one. Okay. Trivia question number two. Danny Thomas' real name was Amos Jacobs. Uh-huh. He was an actor in Detroit. He worked on the Lone Ranger show in 1940. What did he do? Oh, golly, gee whiz. Yeah, so there you go, folks. You can tell me those two. You know, I don't, I, 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 I don't have any CDs here handy, but... I love you anyway. So you can. Oh, oh well, I would say if, any, if people can answer these <laughs> questions, I'll send the CDs with in a heartbeat. There My you goodness, go. Danny Thomas played an awful lot of stuff in an awful lot of shows and did not get high-end visibility. That's he was right. Brother Amos in the Bickerson. Yep. I uh, Jocko. Yep. Um, but those are all under the name Danny Thomas. Yep. But I want to know when he was Amos Jacob. What did he do on the Lone Ranger? Oh, I don't know. I hope somebody else... Well, we'll give clues out tonight to help this one. It's, it's a little bit left field, but uh, I think it's A little it's just, bit? Uh-huh. Oh, you're on the other side of the stadium. You're not a little bit left field. Uh, I'm out. I'm outside the parking lot. Yes, you are outside of the park. Okay, so you want a famous song that was released... On May 29, 1942, and it was sung by a friend of... Hope. It, it, it was recorded today. Oh, recorded today? Yes, it was recorded today. It best came from a movie, but when they went in and recorded it, it was today. Okay. Well, it wasn't... And I'll give more clues as we go. It wasn't Silver Bells because... Oh, you're, in the, you're, you're, you're really warm, Patricia. Well, Bob Hope sang Silver Right, Bell. but this is Bob's Bob friend. Right, well, I'm, 
you know, I mean, <laughs> it's a done deal on that one. Um, okay, I, I'm, I'm in the right territory anyway. You, you, uh, so Patricia almost gave it away. No, I didn't. She doesn't know that, but she did. No, I didn't. She didn't? Oh. No, I didn't. Okay, okay. Well, I'm just not going to have a little family fight here, folks. So you can oh. come bail me out. Did I? No. <laughs> No, no, you never do. Yeah, oh, it was a TV character. You know, Walt and Patricia never, Walt and Patricia never fight. We just, you know, we just Gee, do voices. You know, we've, we've got a failed relationship. We never fight. I know. How, how in the world did that happen? Anyway, 714-545-2071. You can tell me, Bob Hope, Bob, his best friend, what song he recorded today? 1942. And it's probably considered the most recorded song of all time. So it's your first clue. Uh, second clue, second trivia I want to know. Danny Thomas. His real name is Amos Jacob. What did he do in 1940 at the Lone Ranger? 714-545-2071. I have some nifty stuff. Tell me, Patricia. Some stuff. I've, I've got good stuff tonight. Challenge of the Yukon with Sergeant Preston and Yukon King. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yukon King was generally referred to as a husky. You know, a husky doggy? <laughs> yeah. Oh, you do that very well. <laughs> However, on tape number six this week, which is done by the Western New York Old Time Radio Club, the show Silver Point Renegades from March 20th, 1945 was on. This is Sergeant Preston um, and Yukon King. It was on the Challenge of the Yukon. And usually it opens with, er, 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 and Sergeant Preston yells, On King, on you huskies. Mm-hmm. Well, up comes this show, and it begins with, Woof, 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 on King, on you Malamutes. <laughs> Malamutes? And it, it just grabbed my attention. King was a husky. He was a husky. So I thought, well, now, this is a mystery, so I have to go back. So I went went back. I dug through my shows, and I kept going a little bit back, a little bit back, a little bit back, and a little bit forward. So it was really peculiar. And Walden, this is not your trivia question for tonight, but you're going to have to help shed some lights on this. Because it looks to me, as an uneducated outsider, that there may have been some kind of a question about the opening on King on You Huskies. It was written and performed that way on September 7, 1944, on King on You Huskies. On September 12th, five days later, it was simply on King, no Huskies. And then on the 14th, two days after that, it was changed to On King, On You Malamutes. So within seven days, it went from On King, On You Huskies to plain On King to the change On King, On You Malamutes. So now my brain says, well, how long did this last? So I went through my shows, and I'm clicking here. And thank goodness this is at the very beginning. I mean, it, it just opens with da-dum, 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 woof, woof, woof. So I only had to listen to five or six seconds of each show. But I went through all of them, and it lasted until and including May 1st, 1945. 
So from September 1944 through May 1st, 1945, the command was on King, on you Malamute. Actually, that was September 14th. Um, and the following week, May 1st, it, it was still um, Malamute. The following week, on May 8th, they went back to on King, on you Huskies. Okay, they were celebrating VE Day that day. That's why they went to Huskies? No, I'm just making it up because it sounded good. <laughs> okay, <laughs> who's on the phone? Oh, okay, you think they have the answer? Hello there, you're on with Patricia. Hello, Patricia. Hello, Weldon. Hi, Jim. Hi, hi, Patricia. How you doing? Hey. Uh, first of all, I think, I don't know how this relates to Sergeant Preston of the Yukon, but I do remember a Malamute, and I learned remember this from one of the movies that I remember seeing as a child was Walt Disney's Nicky, Wild Dog of the North. You might remember that movie. Uh-uh. And Nicky was known as a Malamute, and he, the, the, his master described him as one-eighth wolf and the rest McKenzie Husky. So a Malamute might be a mixture of wolf and husky. Well, I'm, I'm not a doggy expert, but as far as I know, a Malamute um, is a separate breed from a husky. And sometimes it takes an expert to figure out which one is which because they do look very similar. But a Malamute is not a husky, and a husky is not a Malamute. Um, but that's what I learned. At least that's what that show said. Of course, that could be that could be wrong information too. But that's what I remember from my childhood. That it was a mixture of wolf, and, or at least Nicky was a mixture of wolf and husky, and they called him a Malamute. And they called him a Malamute. Isn't that interesting? Maybe we have some doggy experts out in the audience tonight. I hope so. Um, one of the unusual things about Malamutes is that they typically have a blue eye. Yeah. Well, I know they, uh, when the Russians la- launched uh, Sputnik 2 in 1957, they set a husky up. That was the first dog in space was a husky. Uh-huh. And they, I have a newscast from that day where Robert Pierpoint describes him as a, I can't remember if it was a Malamute, but he said the kind of dogs used by the Eskimos in Alaska. Which could be either a Malamute or a husky. Yeah. Most of them are referred to, or most of the time, when um, we talk about dogs being mushed across the tundras, it's usually huskies. Yeah. Well, anyway, that's that's my understanding of it. Uh, and of course, it, I could I, I could have got, been given wrong information too. But like I said, maybe perhaps some evening or this this evening, a dog expert will call you and I clarify that. So now the question for you is. I need to go just one other chunk of information and then my question to you. I went squirreling around the Internet looking to see if there was a reason why for this block of time they used the word Malamutes instead of Huskies. And I found the same term over and over and over, which means one person wrote it and everybody copied it, that they used the words Malamute and Husky interchangeably, which is not true. I mean, the, the, the overwhelming, the, when I say the overwhelming majority of these shows, this was the first one I ever heard the word Malamute used. Everything else was Husky. So your job is to help me know why for eight months the dog sled was pulled by Malamutes instead of Huskies and why it was such an unusual break. One week it was Huskies, one week, the next week it was, or just five days later, it was on King. And then the third show after was 
on you Malamutes, and then we went back to Huskies again. I, I'm stumped by that, unless it was just some, you know, unless the writers just wanted to vary the opening, you know, sometimes. Well, it has all the rhythm of a bad dancer. I mean, on King, on you Huskies, that's got a rhythm to it. On King, on you Malamutes, that is not musical. I, well, I don't know, maybe, um, hmm. None of the law. Do you have do you have some sounds of the? Well, I figured the sound. I figured the um, the uh, the the sound engineer, the sound effect guy was on strike, that's so they couldn't they get they couldn't come up with a husky they copyrighted it, and so he was on strike for eight months, so they changed it. Well, that's a possibility. Anything. <laughs> radio. Uh, no. They all barked. They all had. Yeah. <clears throat> There's a good trivia. You know who the name of the sound effect guy was on Sergeant Preston? Do you? Yes, I do. Oh, silly. Now, was it Brad Barker? Correct, Brad Barker. Can you imagine? Barker, oh, you... Barker, yeah. Yeah, and he did the barking. Um, yeah. And Perfect last name for being a sound effect guy who specializes in dogs. Did he do the whinnying for Silver as well? I have no idea. Mm-hmm. All I ever known, he was the sound effect guy who did King. Uh, well, it certainly, was, it certainly was effective. No doubt about it. I thought we'd also talk while I have you. We were talking about breakfast cereals. Oh, okay. Well, some of them I remember from my childhood were, of course, the first cereal I probably remember. Everyone knows cornflakes. Everyone knows frosted flakes, which yeah. are essentially cornflakes with sugar. Do we still have frosted flakes? Huh? Yes, we do. Okay. Um, we had uh, we had sugar pop. I'm, I'll go with Kellogg's first. We had sugar pop. We had sugar smack. We had Cocoa Krispies, which were Rice Krispies with yep, chocolate. I remember that. We had regular Rice Krispies, of course. We had... Uh, a they, they, did they really snack, crackle, and pop? Only if you put milk on them. Oh, only if you put milk. Okay. <laughs> ate them dry, which I always did. They never did. Oh, okay. It didn't tickle your nose, huh? <laughs> it was a brand called um, Kellogg's Sugar Stars for a while, which was an oat cereal. Huh. They had a cartoon character called the Wizard of Oats, <laughs> who did the commercials. Kellogg's Snack Pack, you might remember, had yep. Pops, Smacks, Frosted Flakes, Cocoa Krispies. All bundled up. All bundled up, and there was even a triple snack that had uh, Smacks, Pops, and Peanut in a little box. Huh. I remember one of the commercials went, Billy, Jimmy, Jerry, Johnny, Jack want a snack pack, uh, and three other names want a snack pack, too. They're all snacking on Kellogg's Snack Pack. Everybody loves a snack pack. Why don't you? Was one of their jingles. Um, that was on Captain Kangaroo a lot. Uh-huh. Uh, Post had, of course, Post Toasties, Alphabets, uh, Sugar Crisp, Sugar Crinkles, which were rice, and Sugar Crisp were like Sugar Smack. Um, Alphabets, which came along in 1958. Honeycomb was a post cereal. Um, I remember I my my brother liked to sing the alphabet song in 1958 for the commercial. They're ABC delicious, and once just to make it easy, I said they're ABC. It's poison. <laughs> and I guess some nutrition experts might say that today about alphabets. I don't know. Uh, then you had uh, the big G cereals were General Mills, Cheerios. Frostios, which were Cheerios sugar-coated, Kicks, Tricks, Jets, Jets.
like a sugar cereal. Wheaties, of course, were general meals. Uh, Cocoa Puffs were general meals. Later, they had Frankenberries. And uh, when Hyman Brown's General Mills Adventure Theater was on uh, in the 1970s, it was sponsored by Cheerios, Cocoa Puffs, Trix, and Frankenberries and Count Chocula. Count Chocula cereal was a General Mills brand. Nabisco had wheat honey, well, they had shredded wheat, wheat honeys and rice honeys, which were essentially like the kernels, like sugar smack. You know, they were, they were a sweet brand. Kellogg's also had in the 1960s, the late 60s, Puffa Puffa Rice, which was like a Hawaiian-type sugar cereal. Um, let's see. I can't think of... Uh, 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 Ralston had, of course, Wheat Checks and rice check, um, and they had uh, hot Ralston, of course. Um, let's see, I'm thinking of another one, I'm trying to do another uh, company here. Oh, uh, later, Quaker introduced Captain Crunch in about 1964. Lucky Charms were introduced in 64 by General Mills. Um, let's see, what else can I think of other brands? Uh, and those, those were pretty much the major cold cereals. Of course, in hot cereals, you had oatmeal, cream of wheat, malta meal, maple. I want my maple. You might remember that commercial. It was a maple-flavored hot cereal. Um, although I wasn't much into hot cereals. And then later in the 70s and 80s, you had all these Nature Valley and all these granola cereals. Their Cheerios, of course, is still around, and they have various Cheerios flavors. They have Honey Nut Cheerios and regular Cheerios and... All kinds of Cheerios. Did you ever eat hot Ralston? No. I've had the Ralston wheat checks and rice checks, and I never had shredded Ralston either, which sponsored uh, Mix, of course. Uh, if anybody ever ate hot Ralston, please call in and let me know what it tasted like. When I remember, as a kid walking through the aisle, it, with the container that hold uh, Quaker Oats, I thought it was, as a kid, that was an interesting uh, picture of, of the... Uh, of the of the Gelman on on the box. Oh, the Quaker. Yeah. 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 Well, I was always interested too in the fact that uh, I've heard on on Challenge of the Yukon, you know, uh, oh Quaker Oats is their backup product at the end of the show, and they always say, remember, Quaker's Oats and Mother's Oats are the same, and I never could figure what Mother's Oats were. I guess it was a different brand of Quaker Oats, I suppose. Uh, maybe one of your listeners would know that as well. Okay, you're going to hear a click because I have to change phones. Hold on. Let's hold our breath. Let's hold our breath. You think she'll make it? You think she'll do it? I, I, I think she does. She's just so talented. She can do everything. Yeah, amazing lady. Yeah, she's just incredible. I am so terrific. I've got a whole list of cereals here that you dictated now. <laughs> I missed the hot cereals because I was, uh, I was saving the document and you were talking so fast, so I missed the hot cereals, but... Um, hot Ralston. I need to know what Hot Ralston. Do they still make that one? I heard somewhere on the old radio digest. Uh, there's, a, there's, a, there's a there's a country store in Vermont. Was it called the Vermont Country Store? Yep, Where they you... have a website, the VermontCountryStore.com. Okay, so it's a specialty item. I wouldn't be surprised. Well, they supposedly had Hot Ralston a few years ago. Yeah. They even ha- and I all thought this would be a great gift. Uh, they even have Lux radio. They have Lux soap in the 1940 boxes. Wow! And I thought that would be a great item. You know, maybe as a gift, give somebody a radio, a Lux radio show, and give them the actual soap. 
Wow, that would be something. That would be something. What yeah. fun. Walton, can you turn my sound down a little bit? Uh-huh. There you go. You guys are so robust. There you go. She has such delicate ears, everybody. So you know? delicate, you she know? She just wears her Mickey Mouse ears all the time, and I say watch out for them. I remember Kellogg's. Of course, Kellogg's Pep had the prize in the package, and I forgot about Pep. I, I assume those were wheat flakes based on the commercials. I don't remember Kellogg's. What my dad remembers during the war, Pep had cutouts. Uh, well, you, I guess you come in the, in the box of the tanks and airplanes and things like that, and that's what he remembers doing as a kid, cutting those things in the back of the, of the Pep boxes. Mm-hmm. Well, I know that they. Um, I know that uh, Pep. Pep and Corn Flakes were probably Kellogg's most popular cereals in those. Uh, in the, oh, you also had, of course, 40% Bran Flakes was yep. cereal. All Bran was Kellogg's brand cereal. I wonder when Raisin Bran came out. Well, they both, I don't know, both Post and Kellogg's made them. Uh -huh. Total came out about 1963 or 4 uh, as a General Mills cereal. I remember one of their jingles went, enjoy Total every day, feel vitamin safe all day. Is how their jingle went. Yeah. Well, you forgot a show. You forgot a show. Uh, a show that sponsored a comedy show. A uh, comedy show. Let's mm -hmm. see. Well, Father Knows Best had forty percent brand flakes. Right. Right. There was something before then. Oh, like in the thirties. No. Uh, think about forty-two. Oh, like Jack Benny. Grape nuts. Grape nuts. Yes. And grape nuts flakes. Mm -hmm. They had both grape nuts and grape nuts flakes. And. Uh, was it ever determined which was more popular between the Grape Nuts and the Grape Nuts Flakes? And I always thought they were one and the same. Huh? Yeah. What are they? I, I think, I remember reading, and maybe you can verify this, Jim, and, um, and I don't remember, was this much been when Jack, Benny, and Mary were part, part of the jail era that they decided to go work for the company for a buck? I don't remember. Yeah, one of those times, either with Fugetto or either with Fugetto Fruit, the cereal. Probably Juddo during the Depression, they decided to really give a complete pay cut to keep the company afloat. Right, because I know they had, they had to give up Jello because the product in Jello was needed for the war. Right, and that's probably why they switched foot to the other product for the sponsor. Right, and then and I also heard somewhere that in 1944, they tried Pell-Mell as a sponsor for a week or so because Mary preferred Pell-Mells to Lucky's. I heard that somewhere, you know, as her yeah. for preference for cigarettes. Yep. Yeah. Well, isn't that interesting? In fact, in her contract, that uh, she still smoked that brand of cigarette, even though they're sponsored by Lucky's. Well, they're both American tobacco. Mm -hmm. I guess that made it oh, okay, I guess. Some more Grape Nuts Flakes, but Grape Nuts Cereal is still around. Yep, my mom. I don't, I don't know what the flakes were. Well, then, uh, can, you, can I go down a couple of more notches? Boy, she's got yeah. good ears. Well, yeah. I can't turn down the sound on, so. There you go. How about uh -huh. that, Patricia? You're down to a two. You're so good to me. I, well, <laughs> love, and, love and devotion and all that good stuff can get you everything, Patricia. Oh, so. you're so good to me. Okay, so Grape Nuts and Grape Nuts Flakes were two different things, but I don't know what Grape Nuts Flakes looked like, so somebody has to help me with that, too. Well, yeah. Uh, uh, I really think Grape Nuts, sweet for a kid, is an acquired taste. It took a long time before I got used to eating Grape Nuts. It's kind of crunchy, isn't it? Uh-huh. I like crunchy stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they had, you know, they had... Uh, Usual name. What? What's in it? I mean, you don't put grapes I in don't cereal. Know. I don't know. Oh, it's called that. It, I, it, I, it might be a certain type of rice or something. I mean, it's, remember, it's black or whatever, brown, dark brown. And it, it's like nuts. Do you, by the way, in your list of cold cereals there, 
Does Nabisco still make wheat and rice honeys? Wheat and rice honey. Do we even still have Nabisco? Well, I will just go find out. Hold on. Isn't it good I can type? Yeah, Patricia. But that's very easy to spell. Just think of straight arrow. Yeah. N-I-S. No, I can't. N-I-S. Well, you know how they... How Nabisco. Shredded wheat. Yes. Good thing Patricia have computer. Patricia had computer while travel. Yeah. Wheat and rice honey cereal. The unofficial baby boomer cereal. <laughs> <laughs> wheat honey cereal. Um, rice and wheat. Let's see here. Uh, Nabisco cereal boxes. Let's see what we got. Boy, boy, boy. Rice. Well, you know the answer to my two trivia questions tonight, Jim? What's that again? Uh, what famous song was recorded in 1942 on this day? Well, I think you said it was the most popular song of all time. Correct. First record was White Christmas. Correct. That's White Christmas. Was recorded today, 68 years ago. And the other one, Amos Jacob. What did he do on the Royal Ranger in 1940? Oh, uh, uh, Danny Thomas. Mm-hmm. Did he did he do an Indian chant or something? Nope. Nope. A not. character? Uh, well, you sort of call it a character, but not human. Was he? Did he play silver? In a way, he did. He, he was struggling so bad that he was a sound effect. Artists who do to, used to do the Woody for the Horses on the Wall Ranger show. Okay. <laughs> Danny Thomas did Winnie? Yes. Oh, good grief. You never know what you're going <laughs> to... And Mike Wallace had asked one episode in 1940. Uh-huh. He did one episode of Information, Please. That's right. I think contestant. And he was Myron... Wallace. He was also announced Curtain Time and Sky King. Yep. And Spike Jones. And Spike Jones, yeah. And there was some some crime show he did. It may have been a life in your hands. Mm-hmm. He announced that one too. So uh, yeah, there were a lot of serials that, that you know today. I, I think I heard somewhere a few years ago there was a nutrition board that were rating cold cereals, and they rated fifty nine of them. Maybe I mentioned this to you once. Fifty nine cereals were rated for their health benefits and values. Shredded wheat, I think, got the top billing. I think number 59, I, I think I heard, was Captain Crunch. Aww. Cereal back. Or Captain Crunch. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody had to make the top half possible. Yeah, yeah. So, so, so wheat honeys are still made, and rice honeys? I don't know. I'm looking at a website here. Um, said in the late 60s, Sales of the Honey's cereals began to sag, and in 1971, in an attempt to revive the cereal, the names were changed again to Winnie the Pooh Great Honey Crunchers? Is that possible? Yeah, yeah, well, they changed it. Hang on just a moment, please. I'll be right back. Sure, this is Jim. We're talking to Patricia and I. And we are here. Well, I was working up to your trivia question. But I'll wait for Jim to come back, because I think it's a really good one, except you're going to... Back. Hello. Hi, Jim. Yeah, it was a... Um, yeah, so so they changed him to Winnie the Pooh? Uh, that's what... I'm not looking at an official site here. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, these hobby sites are pretty good. Yeah. Let's see. In 1975, Klondike Pete's Crunchy Nuggets were discontinued and the cereals that had existed under one name or another for 36 years were finally gone. Oh, wow. 
That's what it says. And while you're there, I mentioned one of the Kellogg. Could you look up Kellogg's All Stars or Kellogg Sugar Stars? Kellogg Sugar Stars. All right. Or All Stars. I was called both. It was an oat cereal. I thought of another brand, too, that Kellogg's made. Kellogg's OKs. It was an oat cereal in the early 60s. It was unsweetened. Probably cornflakes, I would imagine. Probably cornflakes. Yeah. No? I don't know. That just, just crossed my mind. I mean, the only one I know we have, which I have Jack Armstrong going in 34, and I'm trying to think, well... Uh, Either way, these are cornflakes, probably. Yeah, and I was just thinking, you know, it's interesting listening to the old show commercial. They people would eat them with cream. Yeah. I mean, I never made it because I wasn't grew up. I did I wasn't raised on cream. It, to me, it's all as a kid, it's always interesting hearing them uh, have your show with cream and fruit or whatever. Yes. Uh, Looks like, from what I'm looking at, that the Spur cereals aren't with us any longer, but let me double check here. Maybe part it, people bought milk that way, right? Half milk, half cream on top. Yeah. So maybe that's why they promoted the cream. I want all cream. She loves cream. She loves everything. Well, this is an interesting site. They've got at least 50 pictures, maybe 75 Oh, good grief, maybe a hundred pictures of cereal boxes. Ah. With no names underneath them or anything, you have to read the boxes, if you can read them. They're That's all about bad. an inch big. <laughs> <laughs> okay, find a product. Oh, here we go. Okay, stars. I do not see... Elevens? What in heaven's name is that? This is a British Kellogg site now. We've got Bran Flakes, Cocoa Pops. Corn Flakes, Crunchy Nut, Elevenses, I don't know what that is, Fiber Plus, Frosties, these must be similar cereals under different names. Hmm. And for England, you know, that's, that's yeah. look at them under different names in England. Um, all Star Cereal, no, that's not right. All Brand, All Buds. They were called All Stars for a while. Stars. You know, um, one time when I was surfing on the net, I found somebody put together a pep site with all the uh, items. Uh, all the premiums? Yeah. Really, like from 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 and and, yeah. and uh, space patrol. Well, I could, yeah, what I could tell, it had tons and tons of just nothing but from pep. Cocoa pops, moons, and stars. Um, I do not see. Stars and All-Star Cereal. Um, hmm. Doesn't say whether they're still with us. Mm-hmm. There sure were a lot of there sure were a lot of brands, and they they generally introduce a brand. You know, generally what would happen was they would introduce Kellogg's would introduce a brand, then Post would introduce a brand. Like, right. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, Sixty-three is when Post Crispy Critters were introduced. Oh gosh, Crispy Critters. Um, this is Mark. Your stars are under the column discontinued cereals and foods. I always thought it was interesting in my MBA classes to talk about the cereal campaigns. And it's interesting, the theory was it wasn't. It was pretty inexpensive to make a new cereal, but the money was all in marketing. So that you should keep it pretty much for certain companies that had to buy it to introduce a new show and throw all that money in terms of advertising. You might remember that post-Crispy Critters, their spokesman or their mascot was Linus the Lionhearted. 
course, by Shelton Leonard. Hmm. I did not know that. And they, they build themselves as the one and only cereal that comes in the shape of animals. I remember animal crackers. Yeah. In my soup. Oh, animal crackers. I think we still do, don't we? No, we still have animal crackers. Oh. In my soup. Mm, no. no, I don't know about that. In my box. Animal I'm doing a Shirley Temple song, Animal Crackers in my soup. Oh. That was a Shirley Temple song. Yes. Well, the was discontinued, huh? Uh-huh. But it says. Okay. They just stopped beating them, Jim, and they realized the, the biggest fan no longer cared, so that's why they discontinued the product. Well, you know, the Wizard of Oats in his commercials used to say, I'll give you one more chance to buy them. <laughs> one of their ads. <laughs> that is cool. Yeah. Okay, well, I took down um, my list of cereals. Mm -hmm. And we'll see how many people can add to it. I've got this list in front of me, so it, it would be cheating if I said, oh, here's another one. So, well, I, 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 here's another one. <laughs> there's, a, there's a cereal listed here, cross my heart, honest to goodness, under discontinued. Uh, I think it's a cereal. It says discontinued cereals and foods, but this sounds like a cereal called Concentrate. Don't remember that one. I never heard of a food that name either. Oh, well. Okay, well, we'll see what other people can add. Okay, and you have a very nice evening. Thanks for calling. Thank you. Sure thing. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And 714-545-2071. If you're eating your cereal while you're listening to us, you can give us a call. Crunch, 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 crunch. Or, or with, with milk. Yeah, I guess it's just souping it up. It's time to stump Walden. It's time to stump Walden. 714-545-2071 to help bail Walden out. He gets stumped here. All right, my dear. Help Walden. 714-545-2071. Beat the rush. Put your finger on the phone right now. What was Sergeant Preston's first name? Is there anybody out there? Bye-bye. He left the building. <laughs> I thought my phone went I'm not used to dead air. Well, what was Sergeant Preston's first Wow. Well, I, I had two names in my head, but I don't think even the right. So, I'm going to switch that for the audience to help me out. 714-545-2071. number. 714-545-2071. Now, who, who told me to do that? That was Finster from Seattle. Finster from Seattle said, you have to give Walden hard questions. Yeah. I told Walden I would come up with a hard question one a week. Finster wanted two. That's <laughs> Walden. I got something to look forward to every week now, just to see how much I really don't know. That's going to be pretty good. Oh, that's not true. You're going to knock your socks off. This one is, it was obscure, except, and when I say it's obscure, I came across the name, mm -hmm. <coughs> and I checked a couple of other places, and it was there, and I went to John Dunning's book, and it's there as well. So I guess it wasn't any big, hard, long secret, like the Lone Ranger, this yep. argument is still going on about the, um, whether or not the Lone Ranger actually had a first name, oh, gosh, yeah. but um, I, I was surprised, I had never heard this before, of course I'm just a little kid, you know, Patricia's just a little kid, she goes out and plays with Teeny every week, 
Good old teeny. So I need, I need help with how come we went to Malamute for eight months on um, Challenge of the Yukon with Sergeant Preston and Yukon King. For eight months, he said, I'm King, I'm you, Malamute, which really sounded dumb. I mean, it really sounds dumb. Um, and then went back to On King, On Your Husky. So for eight months, we lived with Malamutes, and I have no idea why. And Robin needs help. What was Sergeant Preston's first name? Is this good or what? That's awesome. Okay. I need to know how many serial questions. How many serials can you remember? Now, if you were listening, Jen gave us a whole list, but there are squillions of more serials. Everybody comes out with serials for kids. Um, they don't have very many serials marketed just for grown-ups, do they? No, but I think they occasionally they do. Yeah, well, like yeah. all brand and 40% uh -huh. brand flakes. Yeah. That's not exactly something that you could tickle kids with. Mm -hmm. <coughs> Crispy crinkles and stuff like that. But not 40% brand flakes. Um, so, I want to know how many cereals you can remember. How many cereals did you actually eat? Did you have one favorite or did you have different ones during the week? Which cereals had premiums associated with them, either in the box, on the box, send away for it? Which ones did you eat because they offered premiums? Which cereals do you wish you had never had to even taste? That's a pretty good question. What did you put on your cereal? Were you a strawberry, a banana person? Did you just eat them with milk? Did you, some people eat it with juice? I mean, I'm... Uh, on top of cereal? Uh-huh. Really? Yeah. Some nutritionists recommend, if you have to have cereal and you're concerned about dairy products, eat your cereal with, with, with a fruit juice. Oh, dear. I know. Did you ever taste it? I tried it that way once. One time. You're, you're, you're good. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> you threw your hat in the ring and I said, tried. okay, I'll give it a try. I, I take it it was not particularly I good. Still, I still gone back to 2% milk. That's what I was raised on, 2%, so... So you went back to that? I went back, yeah. Yeah. And I still need people to call and say hi so I can put a dot on my map. I haven't put a new dot on my map in a very long time. And to Ron in Honolulu, happy birthday. If you are home from work and listening, please give us a call so we can say it to you in real person. Um, I have a little February treat for Patricia. What? You want me to play it now? Um, I don't know if you ever heard this, Patricia. Uh, you know, in um, April 12th, 1945, we lost Franklin Delano Roosevelt. Uh -huh. And they did a special uh, that Sunday. They pretty much, uh, NBC gave up two hours worth of program. And Fibber and Molly had a little segment. And I don't thought maybe she never heard this. And I thought it was somewhat appropriate because we're getting so close to the 4th of July. Without having heard anything about, but I, re I remember one thing, but go ahead and play it. All right, and maybe you can... The one I remember. You probably do. So here we go. Among the American communities which are dedicating this day to the memory of a great man is one which is not shown on any map of the United States. It exists only in the minds and the affections of millions of radio listeners. We'll take you there now. To Wistful Vista, where for once we find no laughter. Ladies and gentlemen, Fibber McGee and Molly. It just doesn't seem possible, McGee. It, it doesn't. I know. 
We both have said that a hundred times in the last few days. To think that... That what? That, well, that we should feel this way about a man we've never met. A man we've known only by what he was and what he's done. Well, I can't think of any better way to judge a man. No, I suppose not. You know, a man is entitled to a lot of credit when people can say his family and his community and his country are better off for his having lived. But when a man dies and the whole world was a better place for his living, well, nobody needs much more of a monument than that. And it'll be a better place if we follow through what he was working for. I think we will. Do you really, McGee? Yes, I do. Right now, of course, there's a lot of sentiment involved. Everybody is shocked. Even the worst enemy of decency wouldn't dare raise his voice. And I don't think the world is going to stand for much messing around with what Franklin D. Roosevelt died for. That's another thing, McGee. What's another thing? Well, the very fact that when you talk about him, you talk in terms of the world. You don't say the United States or our allies. He didn't belong just to us. Well, you remember what the quotation was in that Hemingway book. It says, Any man's death diminishes me because... I'm involved in mankind, and therefore never send to know for whom the bell tolls. It tolls for thee. Seems to me that... Oh, heavenly days, McGee. There's somebody at the door. Now, you answered. I'm in no mood to talk to people today. I'll be out in the kitchen, dear. Okay. <clears throat> Come in. Hi, mister. Oh, hello there, little girl. Come on in. Okay. What can I do for you, Teeny? Well, I just thought I'd better come and tell you your flag isn't up on the flagpole very good, mister. You mean the one out in front? Mm-hmm. It's at half-mast, Teeny. Mm-hmm. Well, for your information, when a flag is only halfway up the staff, it means the nation is in mourning for somebody. It's a mark of respect, kind of a salute. For anybody, mister? Oh, no, not just for anybody. Yes, but... Uh-huh. Here. Mm-hmm. Sit down. Mm-hmm. Thanks, mister. Now, look. A long time ago, a little boy was born. This little boy had everything a little boy could want. Good food, good clothes, nice family, beautiful home, and he was a handsome little boy. Oh. Yes, sir. But lots of times it happens that when people have almost everything, something is taken away from them. This boy had his health taken away. He became paralyzed. Oh, gee, that's terrible, mister. Yes, but this boy had character, Tina. He had nerve and he had courage. And he had a sense of responsibility to himself and other people. So little by little, he began to exercise and swim a little and fight back that disease. His arms got muscular. He developed great big shoulders and a great big chest. He needed that great big chest, too, sis, because he had a great big heart. Did he get well, mister? Hmm? He got well in his mind and his spirit, sis. I guess there were times when he suffered bitterly and must have been tempted to give up. But this boy, though, though he was a man by then, this, this man was a fighter. He didn't know how to surrender. Gee, he must have been wonderful. He was wonderful. He was so wonderful that people did something for him they'd never done for any other man. Oh? They asked him to be president of the United States four times. His own people loved him and trusted him. And this trust and respect spread all over the world. I bet you you're talking about President Rockefeller, I bet you. That's right. Franklin Delano Roosevelt. The man who never forgot what suffering and discouragement meant. And never stopped fighting for the rights of other people to hope and courage and freedom. They called him FDR because, well, those were his initials. And maybe, too, because he stood for freedom and decency. 
Who isn't? Come here a minute, dear. Okay. See that flag there? Yes. Well, I just wanted you to know why it's at half-mast. That flag represents America, Tina. You and me and millions more of us. America has lowered that flag today in honor of a man who could never lower it himself because he never learned how to surrender. Understand? Sure I do, mister. And I won't forget either. I don't think many of us will, Tina. Goodbye. Bye, mister. This is Kay Kaiser. And, Tina, you're right. None of us will ever forget him. And we'll be seeing him again, too. Yeah, I just thought I was so well written. I just wanted to play that. I never heard that. Yeah. And what was the date on that one, please? It was uh, Sunday, April the 15th, 1945, when NBC set, a t- set aside two hours. Uh, they, they just wiped out the Sunday night lineup and did a two-hour Roosevelt special. Well, this this was a special yep. appearance by Fibber and Molly on this particular show. That yeah. wasn't their regular night. Was not their regular night. So don't bother to look for it in their collection. It's uh-uh. somewhere else. In the history books. But I thought it was so well written, I thought I wanted to share that with everybody, just in case you'd never heard that. That was really outstanding. Yeah. Outstanding. It's amazing. for finding it. I, it didn't give credit, but I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, maybe each team had somebody, had somebody on their own staff to write their own part. I would not be surprised. Or maybe they had somebody dedicated to write the special. Yeah. Don't know. Mm. But, so many things I wish we knew, like TL. What does TL mean? We never did get an answer on that one. For anyone who wasn't listening last week, we had a discussion about a comment that Molly made to Fibber. She was saying, well, boy, have I got news for you, dear. And it came out, I've got a TL for you. T is in Thomas. T-L? Yeah, T-L. T as in Thomas, L as in... Larry. Larry? Lucy. Lucy. Lovey. (laughs) (laughs) Lovey, yeah. Okay, so T-L. And I found a website that had a discussion about it. People had heard it on Burns and Allen. They heard it on the Jack Benny show. And I was looking for it in relation to the Fibber McGee and Molly show. And they all had some wonderful ideas and some really one of them said tough luck I said I don't think so and the other one said well maybe it was tough love no I don't think so but it was uh, an expression and to my way of thinking it had to be representative of a word of an actual word there's no way that they could just come up with TL I've got a TL for you so I thought maybe a short version of a telegram you know, like uh-huh. I've got a telegram or uh-huh. I've got news for you. So if anybody knows, and Walden is going to ask one of our upcoming hour, I get so possessive, one of yesterday USA's uh, guests, he talks with one of the interviews you schedule to ask the person what it means, huh? Maybe our special guest knows you. You know what TL means, Carl? Um, no. No, okay. Who is this? I was just wondering if Patricia knows it. I don't. Tomorrow is my birthday. This is mine, and I received the best birthday gift in the mail. Three wonderful MP3 CDs sent from Patricia. Well, you got them already, Ron. I said two times. I hope Ron is listening. 
because it's his birthday. Happy birthday, Ron. Please call us so we can tell you in person. Happy uh, I, I, I was at a graduation, but I'm in my car. You're in your car talking. Are you driving? Uh, I, 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 I really did. But my iPhone has you going really strong in my car. Okay, well, I thought you were driving, so I didn't want you to drive into the, into the Pacific Ocean. <laughs> Shame on you, yeah. He, he would say, safe, and don't, don't drive and talk at the same time. Um, did you have a nice birthday? Oh, you're in the middle. How, what time is it there? Well, it's not my birthday yet. It's, it, it's in Florida. If I were in Florida, it'd be my birthday. And that's exactly what I said. It's it's after midnight in Florida. It's Ron's birthday. Eight o'clock in Hawaii. It's what time? Eight o'clock. Eight o'clock. Six hours behind of you. Six hours. Oh gosh, I'm six hours behind the Walden. So you know. Oh gosh, you know I'm just ahead of everybody, Ron. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that a wonderful feat? You're just ahead of everybody. Um. Listen, though, um, I just wanted to know that, but I, I'm excited. You know what, Ron? Patricia can always tell us tomorrow's news, because she's already in tomorrow. That's right. Yeah. I can tell you yesterday's news, too. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, you can tell us a lot of things, I'm sure. Um, how's the weather in Florida? It is hot tonight. It's really nice. It's about 69. But it's been in the 90s for several weeks now, during the day. And the humidity? Uh, I really don't know. I, I'm not normally bothered by humidity. Once in a while, it's like taking a shower without getting into the shower. Yeah, it's really, yeah. I, I've been to um, Orlando in September, and oh, my gosh. Yeah, well, you, you're surrounded by a lot of water up there, and we are, too, because I'm sitting very close to the Gulf. And everything around us is wetland, but um, I'm, I'm not usually bothered by heat and humidity. But when it cools down a little bit, like into the 80s or 70s, and it's 100% out there, I can really feel that. Well, what's on the agenda for tomorrow, Walden? We're going to continue celebrating Bob Hope's birthday tomorrow. Uh, uh, when he turned 100, uh, the, the overnight radio show had Phyllis Dillard. He had uh, Sherwood Schwartz, who was a writer in the 30s, and other people who worked with him on the all-night five-hour show. So that will be the main interview tomorrow night, personal recollection of Bob Hope when he turned 100, which was only seven years ago. Oh, that should be a fun show. It, it is a fun show. And we had uh, Bob Mill tonight, Bob, one of Bob's writers, on for uh, two hours and 15 minutes. So we warmed up the crowd. That's it. Now, that means that your show on... On Saturday starts at ten thirty your time, right? Ten thirty Florida time. Yep. Florida time. Okay. Wait a minute. He can rest up all day to do the show. That's seven thirty your time. Yep. Or, okay. I just gotta find. I just gotta find. I only have to find my bedroom. And I can do the show. <laughs> <laughs> and then you, and then you, you start off with some programs and. 7.30 your time, Well, tonight we went live with, with the interview. Um, tomorrow we'll do the Jack Benny show and the Phil Harris Hour of Faith show. And then after Dr. Mike, around midnight Eastern time, we'll start the interview. Um, and next, next week, you know, Patricia, Patricia can be on live right at 10.30 Eastern time. So, 
by 4.30 while you're lying on the beach, you can listen to Patricia and I on the show. Oh. At 10.30, your time, Patricia. Uh-huh. My time, right. Yep. yep. I'm, I'm coming on early next week, so I can bother you for an additional... Six more hours. Six oh, hours? Oh, how about that? Yeah. Six hours for Patricia. I'm going to have to, du- I have to double her salary. Yeah, yeah. yeah. She stays up... Salary gets doubled every week, I Ron. know. She stays up till five in the morning and she's just gonna throw up. And you know, I don't know how she can sound so chipper at one thirty in the morning saying, Well, well we have to Oh my gosh, had a wonderful time And she doesn't sound like she's yawning or nothing. <laughs> I'm not I I wait until the show is on and then I yawn. Patricia and I will sit there and talk sometime. That's true. That's true. You are amazing. You're both of you. I don't know how you guys can so why are you two wanting because you don't get off the air until about one thirty at a time. Uh-huh. Well, I have a trick. I can sweep in bed and still do the show. It's pretty, pretty amazing. You laugh. <laughs> sometimes, sometimes we're wild and just falls over, Ron. Mizuza and Cucamonga, Ron. You didn't need that. Oh, well. <laughs> yeah, right. You know, I, I, it was nice talking to the two of you. I am glad I'm still able to be co- coherent. Uh, of course, this is only 8 o'clock, a little after 8 o'clock in the evening. <laughs> you're very coherent. Would you like to give us a call later and tell us um, how you're doing? Oh, I was going to give you a call when I'm by my piano and play a little bit of cream of wheat. Oh, yes! Uh, so good to eat. Have it every, every day. day. 
Well, when you, when you get home, if you feel like doing that, that would be ever so good. I can have Patricia read out John Dunn's book. Uh-huh. It's written in there, I think. What's written in there? The lyric to the West Pretend song. Cream of wheat, it's a good to eat, and we have it every day. It makes it fun and, and uh, make it strong, and we have it every day. It's good for growing babies, it's good for growing kids. And I'm just making up the words that I can't recall them. That's a remarkable future. I don't so I have given Walden the award, Ron. <laughs> That way, you made it safe, you didn't drive out in the Pacific Ocean. I'm just curious, though. Um, do you, and I will, we'll, we'll discuss it later, but do you, do you have an MB3 CD of all Let's Pretend shows, Patricia? Of, of what shows, Ron? Let's Pretend. Pretend. I don't have any of them, but I'll bet I can find some. There are 96 out there in the hobby, so she'll be able to find one or two, I hope. I will find them. did you say, well, there's how many? 96. 96? Yep. Wow. It was on from uh, 1934 until 1954. Yeah, right. And, yeah. Whatever, if you ever put one together, Patricia, let me know. Okay. I will put one. I'll find some. Very popular show in Hawaii. Every Saturday, we used to listen to Let's Pretend and listen to all the stories that Puss in Boots and all these different stories oh. that they recreated. Hello there, Carl. You are with Patricia. Hello, Carl. Hello, 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 Patric
Hi, Walden. Hi, Patricia. Look at you sitting here talking to us. How are you feeling? I'm tired, but I'm going to be okay. I'm glad. Yeah. What a fantastic interview you did, Patricia. Job well done. Wasn't he terrific? He is such an articulate person and does not run out of stories. It was, it was a lot of fun on this end to talk with him. Thank you. Uh, you did a fantastic job, and he did a very good job going into great detail to answer your questions, and then some. And then some. It really is a wonderful book. I don't know if you're a Bob Hope fan, but anyone who is a Bob Hope fan, this is a must-read. Well, I have to tell you, two years prior to Bob passing away, I wrote him a letter, and... At the end of my letter, I requested an autographed photo. Mm -hmm. And my husband said, who are you writing to now? And I told him that I was writing to Mr. Hope. And he said, you'll never get an answer from him. What are you, crazy? I said, I will bet you dollars to donuts that Mr. Hope will answer my mail. And lo and behold, one month later, I received an envelope with a photo of Mr. Hope that he had autographed for me. Oh, wow. Oh, my God. What a great story. Oh, your husband is such a skeptic. Well, you know, he, you know, it's not that he's skeptical. He probably more or less thought that due to Bob's age that, you know, he probably didn't do that any anymore, you know. And with his eyesight going and everything, uh, he figured he probably didn't sign autographs anymore, but Bob made a believer out of him. <laughs> oh, that's so neat. Um, you were talking about cereals, and that one gentleman, what a list. He, <laughs> he just kept going. Oh, my goodness. Oh, by the way, Ron, if you're still listening, mahalo, and happy birthday. Um... My cereals growing up, well, that other gentleman he gave a lot of what I grew up with. There were some that he didn't mention. Of course, I didn't think he would mention all 3,863 cereals <laughs> on the market. <laughs> oh, my gosh, you know, if you had to... <laughs> Cut it out, and you could actually play the cardboard cutout, and it had a 
It had a film on top, and you could actually cut it out and place it onto the phonograph and play it. Wow. What? And I had it all there. Unreal. Well, then, have you ever heard of that premium? Uh, when Solucio started to describe it, it started to create a memory in my mind, but I don't remember which ones. Um, I, I, but... Which, 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 yeah. We had Bang um, Sugar Sugar. Mm-hmm, Sugar Sugar, that was a big hit. Um, well, that was the biggie. Yeah. Um, everyone was trying to get that one. Uh, and there were two other songs of theirs. Um, which cereal was this, Lucille, please? I believe it was Alphabets. I could be wrong. It could have been. It was either Alphabets or Sugar Crisp. One of the two that you got the, the phonograph record on. That is amazing. The, the cost must have been phenomenal. Well, you figure the price that they had to pay to the Archies or to the record label to do that and then to actually come up with a way that they can play cardboard. As a matter of fact, Dick Clark, in one of his album sets, his his favorite hits album says, did the same exact thing. It was a small piece of square cardboard, and you could put it on your turntable and play it. I do have that one. I do have, still have that one. I think Doris Day's son, Terry, was the, was the record producer. Mm-hmm. I seem to remember that. Yes, yes, he was. Mm-hmm. Yes, he was. And uh, you asked about... Um, Grape, grape nut flakes. Mm-hmm. They were the most horrible. <laughs> Talk about cardboard. Yeah. Cardboard probably would have tasted better. Did they taste anything like grape nuts? No. <laughs> As a matter of fact, grape nuts, I believe they were called grape nuts because if you had ever had grapes that had the, the seeds still inside them, if you ever ate one and they hit your gums and cut you, I, that's probably why they call them grape nuts, because I could not eat a spoonful of grape nuts without getting my gums all cut. No kidding. Oh, they are so hard. And no matter how long you left them in, in milk, they still would <laughs> not get soggy. Crunchy stuff. <laughs> But that's, that's what I wanted to call for. And I just wanted to say hi. Hi. And, uh. Did you want a question? No, not tonight because I'm on medications that are making me a little loopy. That's why I was trying to refrain from calling. (laughs) I'm glad you did. I, I'm serious. I'm really glad you did. I did not know about the records on the back of a cereal box. That's amazing. I, I mean, the packaging alone. Now, you said there was a, a plastic cover on that back, though, and you had to pull that off, right? Yeah, it, it, no, it, it was a, some kind of coating that had grooves, just like a record and everything. And I still remember it. Jack the box, Patricia, in the in the seventies. I remember this. You, as a premium, as Jack the box, it would be like a record on a cardboard. 
That's amazing. Mm-hmm. And they were and they were not damaged in packaging or shelving. No, no, not at all. It was like I said, you you cut out the record. The bushman made a perfect circle, but <laughs> you know, and it, it it didn't have any damage to it. You didn't peel anything off. You just cut it out, pop it onto the record player, and play it. Wow. Do you know approximately what year that came out? Well, let's see. I believe the Archies came out with Sugar Sugar in 1967 or 1968, around now. Mm-hmm. But if um, you got in touch with, uh, maybe if you just looked up Archie Premium Records, maybe it would come up. I don't know. Archie discography that might give you the date, Patricia, and then you can oh. we can look that way. This it, it had to be a co-op, a co-op in the sense that there were two advertisers coming together on a single product, and in this case it would have been the cereal mm-hmm. plus the record manufacturer. Right, right. They they would have been marketing the Archies. It's not so much that the record company bought what. The, the um, or I'm sorry, the cereal company bought what the record company was selling. It was that they reached an agreement to co-market. They could have co-marketed, or as I said, the, the cereal company could have paid royalties to the record company for using that as a promo for their cereal. My understanding, uh, Patricia, like, Case, would you remember gasoline station during the holiday would have maybe a small cassette tape of a couple of holiday songs mm-hmm. and you could pay for a dollar ninety five or whatever. Yeah, right. And my understanding what happens um a, a producer or somebody come up with the idea, they they give a the record comp- a lump sum. A gigantic lump sum and the uh the company can go ahead and issue a small uh, issue a quantity of them. And that's how it's done. Right. Yeah. Like I said, I still have some cassettes mm-hmm. from Shell gas stations. Yep, I got one of those, you bet. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's very, very interesting. And well then, due to it being Memorial Day weekend, I felt that that Fibber McGee and Molly excerpt that you played for us, I know you got it for Patricia, but we enjoyed it as well. I hope that one day, maybe the 4th of July weekend or whatever, you will play the full two hours. I'd be happy to. I'll put put that on the uh, 4th of July weekend. I think I'll run that probably Friday night on the the 3rd. No, the 2nd. The 2nd. That brought tears to my eye when Fibber was telling Teeny. That brought tears to my eyes, and I, unfortunately, what year was that? 1945, before we, any of us were, were born. Yeah, it was before I was here, and my father was probably outside playing ball somewhere. <laughs> so, I've never heard it, and that would be a blast. Oh, sure, I'd be happy to play that. Very good. Because I'm sure looking at, 19, you know, the end of the Second World War was 65 years ago. Uh, and when I had Hugh O'Brien, they're trying to make August 14th a national holiday. So they're doing a lot of work. They're even having um, Hugh O'Brien and the gal who was on the, uh, it was, is it Times? Oh, no, Life. I got the magazine cover. And 
the nurse and they're having them in a parade there in uh, Times Square try and trying to get the government to make that an uh, official holiday. So I started thinking and I ordered a bunch of uh, recordings today that sort of highlight some of those big dates. So okay. I'm happy to do that. One more question for you, Alden. Uh-oh. When the FOTR yep. was in Newark, New Jersey in October. Right. Will you be participating? Um, I'm part of the committee. I just probably will not make the trip back there this year. Uh, it's been a couple of years. I'm so busy planning for the one in Seattle here in a month, and that probably be the only one I, go, I will be at this year. But you never know. You never know. I mean, I won't say no. Um, if my if my surrogate mom was living in New Jersey full time, yeah, I would go back. But uh, right now she's going full time in Mexico. So, uh, so... Well, that's good. Yeah. Well, <laughs> she lives in the Nevada. It's pretty nice down there. Wow. Uh, which had to, I talked to her this week. She turned 89 this week. Oh, wow. Kitty Callan. And, but, she, yep. So, she was living... She only spent three or four months in New Jersey. And so, I would be back there. But, yeah, you never know, Lucille. Right now, I don't have any plans, but... Kitty Callan is your... Second mom, uh-huh. Wow! I, now, let me ask this. Am I talking about the same Kitty Cowan? You are. Nope, you're thinking of Kitty Carlisle Hart. I'm thinking of I, Kitty Cowan, the singer. She would think of Kitty Cowan. Yep. Okay, because I've seen her, um, let's see, she, there was a uh, PBS special, and she was on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's been on that. Um, yes. Yeah, you, 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 most people would remember her because they announced her death twice on national TV. And so she had to go back on TV saying, I'm not dead. Uh, yeah. And, um... There was one more thing. Oh, anyway, the reason why I was asking was because I was planning on going, and I get a, a, a newsletter from FOTR. Oh, yeah. And I was like, wow, I wonder if Robin's going to be there, because if you were, I was going to go just so I could meet you. Oh, well, if I were there, we'd be meeting him having what? How about that? Oh, let me tell you, I'd, I'd buy you lunch and ah. dinner. Ah. But, uh, would you dinner? And dinner. Wow. Good deal, Walter. I know. If I can come up with the money for the airline tickets, I'll be there. Let me tell you. If I'm going to be there, you let me know. I will be there with you. If I'm going to be there, I will let you know. That's wonderful. Because all of our listeners do like to make the trip. We have a good friend, Karen, from New York, who always generally make it when I'm back there and others. So. There's a guy named Stu Weiss. Yep. Stu and I... Know each other really well, in fact. Yeah, uh, I listen to his top shelf. Yeah, he, he and I help each other. In fact, he can arrange me uh, to get his guests here in a couple of weeks. Um, yeah. he, well, he is having... The same people, Robin. I know. He's having the nephew of Jim Reeves on his show, June 11. And once he gets, makes the contact, he'll, well, he'll let me have him on the show. Can I... I love Jim Reed's voice. I thought he was such a good singer. Oh, yes. You know, and I thought... He was big into country music. No doubt about it. And, 
as well as doo-wop. Yep. Stu and I know each other for quite a few years. We worked, uh, we, I help him on the, uh, on his, um, conv- on his panel and things like that. They always pick my brain. Crew is still alive. It lives in New York, so. Yeah, well, he lives here in Staten Island. Yep. And I see him quite often, and I go to the Top Chef Elders, and I listen on occasion. Yeah. And so I do know still. He's crazier than I am. He does an eight-hour show. I only do a six-hour show. I, I crocheted a baby blanket for his son's first child. Wow. His grandson. Wow. Well, that's how well I know Yeah, him. he's a nice guy. Yeah, when he, when he keeps pushing me, you gotta go, you gotta go to the FOTR, you gotta go, you gotta go. But unfortunately, it usually lands around my wedding anniversary and well, my husband. You know what? They pick me out. If you can't go, you can listen to it on Yesterday USA because we broadcast the last six or seven of them here. Well, there you go. Now I learned something else. Uh-huh. But you guys have a great morning. And again, thank you for a very entertaining evening. And thank you for calling. And I did find the Archies, by the way. Ah, you did. I did. Ah, I did. Are you ready? I'm ready. All right. You were right. It's alphabets. And yeah. they had four records. Mm-hmm. Four records on the back. Um, photo stream. Um, it says from the 1970s. There, there are more websites up here, but I and I will find a date, but. There are actually pictures of them out here on the internet. How about that? See that? I wouldn't give you a story. Sounding <laughs> to me that they could they could actually put something like this together uh, for free on the back of a, a cereal box. That's amazing. Okay. There was a cereal, and I was about seven, eight years old, and it wasn't the variety pack of your post cereals or your Kellogg's uh, cereals. It was another cereal, and I, for the love of me, I cannot remember the name of it, but inside every box was a doll, a miniature doll, from a different country. Wow. And I can't tell you how many boxes of this cereal that I ate just to collect every country doll. That was one of my questions. <laughs> How many of these did you eat because of the premiums, and that was it? Did you like the cereal? The se- half of the time I tossed the cereal. I just wanted the darn doll. <laughs> and I put them in. My grandmother had, you know, those wall curios? Mm-hmm. Well, I put them inside one of them. She let me have one of them, and I put them in my bedroom on the wall inside the wall curio. But I did eat, I ate a lot of the cereal, but for the, a lot of times also I would chuck the cereal and just grab the doll. Good girl that you some of it. <laughs> so you have a wonderful evening, and I'll continue to listen, okay? Sounds great, Thank you for calling. Good night, guys. Love you. Love you. Feel better. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And there's Lucille. 714... Five four five two zero seven one seven one four five four five two zero seven one. That is us. That's us. We have this really great trivia question. Applejack. <laughs> Applejacks. Yes, I'll put that on the list. <laughs> that wasn't the question, but that's a good answer. 
is worth two CDs. You get one question. I need one correct answer. You get two for the price of one. What was the original name of Tonto's horse? He rode Scout, but that was not the horse's first Hello, Carl? Nope. I guess you just didn't... What to me? He just hung up. He was scared. I thought you threw me out. You did. We're still here, right? Yep. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, the question is, what was the original name of Tonto's horse? And we have some additional questions. Hello, Carl. You are on with Patricia. Okay, let's try it. Now I got home. You did? Huh? At home. H-O-M-E. Home. Home for the holidays. Can you play that on the piano, home for the holidays? Home for... Home. Wait, now. Uh, let's see. Here, um, let's see if I can play this one correctly. Um, okay. Okay, here we go. Um, here we go. You know, Ron, I want you to play a theme song at least once a month for the show. Uh, yeah, yeah, that'd be kind of cool. Yeah, play one theme song. Did I, did I play for you? Uh, And that was, a, that was a theme song for two radio shows at the same time. For two? Yes. What was the other one? It was, Pen, it was Ethel and Albert. Peg Link show during, in the 1947. You did that during the daytime while Joyce and Gracie had it at night. No, no, Peg Link, Ethel and Albert, where was Peg Link married to a guy? No, she was single. Uh... She made a, she married in the late 40s. Uh, basically, uh, her, the, the, she figured the way she, she was, she and her mother pretty much lived, uh, she lost her dad at a young age, so her personalities were very similar to Ethel and Albert. She figured out why in the world she had the, the pattern down. But she married um, her husband around 1948, and they're still married to, uh, today. 60, what, what would that be? 62 years later. And Peg is 93, still as sharp as... I know, well, Oh my gosh, and I talked to Lori Gaffman this week, and he just got, did a brand new interview with her. And, and what what we're going to do here later this year, you might remember this, Ron. You remember the soap operas on radio? They used to have the soap operas, Ma Perkin and, wow. and uh, Ethel and Albert. Well, at that time, she called her show The Couple Next Door. They went off the air 50 years ago, the Thanksgiving, and I know three people who were on the last day of the soaps, and, I, and Jim suggests, why don't you have all three of them on, and we'll have Jim, and just talk about what was it like seeing radio disappear. Um, okay, Peg Lynch. 
Cuba was still alive. Yep, of, of that very last day, in 19, on, on, uh, on November 1960, Peg Lynch, she was a star, of course, a couple next door. Terry King, who was the uh, star of the second Mrs. Burton. And, and our friend Rosemary Rice, who was on second Mrs. Burton. All three of them are still very much alive. And uh, so I thought that Jim suggested, and I thought that's a good idea. Why not have all th- three other separate interviews, but talk about what was it like Knowing you, radio was pretty much starting to wrap up. Well, I will put it together this fall right during Thanksgiving week because that's. Oh, uh, Thanksgiving week. Yeah. yeah. Well, that sounds exciting. Love that. Something, something to look forward. You bet. Yeah. Well, anyway, I'll just um, listen to you guys and hear you banter back and forth. And <laughs> And I'll ask you good stuff, and see how you guys are at 4.30 in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> and stuff. But I'm, I'm going to be listening to the, the CDs that um, Patricia sent me, because it, it's exciting to hear more of Dr. Kildare and stuff. So. Dr. Kildare. Kildare ones are good. I, I went through all of them, and I got rid of the ones that had the terrible sound quality. So you should be able to enjoy most of the ones that are still left. Very good. Well, we'll talk to you later, you guys. Take care. Thank you. Thanks for calling. Okay, bye-bye. Bye. Dr. Kildare. Dr. Kildare. Lionel Barrymore and Lou Ayers. And uh, I thought it was interesting. Lou Ayers was a conscious adjuster during the Second World War. But he served the country. He was in the paramedics. And what he would do, he would be part of the crew that would go out and treat our wounded soldiers during the line of fire. Mm-hmm. The, the medics in the military, uh, in the war zones, were at about the highest risk of anyone out there. Yeah. Because they were exposed. I mean, they would just stand up and run and it didn't make any difference. Um, when you get caught in the crossfire, whether or not people are aiming at you, um, they, they just really had a, a terrible injury rate. Yeah. And they were marvelous people, just courageous and did a wonderful job for our soldiers. Our country would better to have them. Mm-hmm. 714-545-2071. It's fun with Patricia. Play with Patricia. Let's see, Patricia, Patricia Potluck. I thought we had, I thought Patricia came up with a good name last week. What was it? Um, I forget. Oh. For the, uh, uh, the trivia. Yeah. Hmm. Um. I don't know. I don't know either. Potpourri is good, but that wasn't it. No. You had a really nifty name for it. It was good, huh? It was terrific. (sighs) Oh, sorry. I should have written it down, huh? (laughs) Seven one four five four five two zero seven one. Do you know what was the name of Tonto Horse before it became Scout? That's one of the questions she had. One of the questions. Do you know? Let's see. What was the second question of your of your triplets there? Well, for for you, it was what was Sergeant Preston's first name? Was it Paul? No. Okay. Uh, I'll, I'll try to be, uh, I'll, um, build up this, uh, well, this is like Mr. Kelly on, um, the Quiz Kids. Well, really? oh, oh, oh. don't think, <laughs> gosh, you know, and I'm, you told me that the kids 
really enjoyed they loved him. being with him. They loved him because he, he, all he had was a third grade education. But it showed. And he showed. That's why I think the kid felt sorry for him. I remember sometimes he would say, well, Joe, you know, Joe's a couple of men with the, uh, the brains, you know, with the math. And I said, Joe, I'll just let you look at this question. You can figure it out, Joe. I don't really think I know the, I can explain the answer to you. Well, it, it, you know, it, it disturbs me when I listen to the show because to my ears it sounds like he's talking down to the kids. Um, and they, you know, like, an, like an adult who would lean over a seven or an eight year old who is a brilliant um, scientist and right. think, well, how are you all doing today? Well, I think it was interesting. They tested out several uh, people for that show. And the kids fell in love with Joe, with Joe Kelly. They felt comfortable with him. They, they tried college professors, and they just, they, there was no chemistry. Didn't click. Did not click. Because they felt <laughs> sometimes the, the professor was trying to outsmart the kids, and they didn't want that. And well, I see. And they wanted Joe Kelly's personality, and because he connected with the kid, they wanted that, they wanted that uh, connection. Mm-hmm. So... That's why we wound up with Joe Kelly. That's how come we wound up with Uncle Joe. Uh-huh. And he really did behave like an uncle. Yes. He hadn't seen the kids for two years and still thought they were five and they weren't. I like the Christmas show. I don't know if you've ever had a chance to hear the Christmas show at Joe Kelly's house. It's sort of a, it's sort of like how you think your Uncle Joe would, would act during Christmas yes. time. You're right. I, when you said it at Joe Kelly's house, I do remember yeah. hearing that show. Yeah. I do remember it. The kids were wonderful. They, they had... Such verve and personality. Um, uh, there's a great book, and I think Ruth Dutkin uh, put it out. She wound up, after her day, she wound up being a reporter in a local paper in Chicago. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she wound up interviewing, I think, 400 kids. Wow. And, and, uh, of the quiz kids, because she was interested in the gifted personality and things like that. And what happened to them? And she wrote a book called Whatever Happened to the Quiz Kids. Mm-hmm. And I've I've seen some websites and I've tried to make contact with, I would love to get her on the show. I think she just recently updated the book. And I get to talk about her memory as a quiz kid mm-hmm. and what her observations were, um, uh, you know, interviewing so many kids. Uh, yeah. It's amazing she could track them down. Yeah. Well, I think there was a... Um, there was a, a there was a sort of an assistant on the show that pretty much all the kids kept in touch with, mm-hmm. like a mother figure, and I think that's why she was still able to get in touch, and she pretty much had everybody contact him for something like that. Wow. Oh, my. Well, we have a whole bunch of Let's Pretend shows available for Ron, and I will drop them onto a CD and get them to him. Good. Are you going to sing the Cream of Wheat commercial tour? To him? I don't think so. Aww. I think I think that would be cruel and unusual punishment <coughs> to make Ron, especially a musician, <laughs> have to listen to me sing anything. Well, you can read it out loud, couldn't you? I could what? Read it out loud. Well, I, I suppose I could do that. Well, you don't have to. You don't want to. Well, I have to find it first. <laughs> Why would I want to do that? Okay. Well, it's in Dunning's book. Oh, oh, that's right. You did tell me that. Uh-huh. Okay. Cream of wheat. What am I looking under? Cream let's, of wheat? You're looking under what's pretend. 
Well, you just keep talking while I am looking. Probably not there. You used to be there years ago, but you know. I'm, but Patricia, you know. Do they, do they have updated versions of this? No. Uh, Donnie wrote two versions of the book called uh, Tune In Tomorrow, or Tune In Yesterday. There it and, is. And that was in the book. Mm-hmm. And then when he revised it, he, then he called it On the Air, which is somewhat a totally different type of book. Right. So. Um, okay, it's here. Could you read the lyrics? Sure. There we go. Cream of wheat is so good to eat. Yes, we have it every day. We sing this song. It will make us strong. And it makes us shout hooray. Hello? <laughs> <laughs> it's good for growing babies and grown-ups, too. And grown-ups, too, T-O-O, to eat. So it's too, too. And grown-ups, too, to eat. For all the family's breakfast, you can't beat cream of wheat. That's Hooray. Cool. But it worked, didn't it? It worked. It worked. People, people m- m- knew the song. With apologies to the advertising person who might still be alive who wrote this. What do you think? I think he did great. I, I interviewed, there's two, there was some by two gals, Gwen Davies, who I interviewed. She lives in a farm area, Pennsylvania. Uh-huh. And Sybil Trent, who is now gone. Uh, but she, uh, that's, people remember that song. I think it was part of the, they had the same for about nine years. And pretty much the, the actors started as a kid on the show. Mm-hmm. And they stayed with the show for almost 18 years or so. They grew up with the show. Well. In fact, Arthur Anderson has two books. Uh-huh. One about the history of West Pretend and one his biography. He was a uh, writer, Lucky, the voice of Lucky Charm serial. But uh-huh. anyway. Well, how interesting. Well, good. This is good. Good. Shall we play um, a show? What? A Fibber show? <gasps> yeah. Oh, sure. I've got some really good stuff about this one. That's what I thought. Oh, yeah. I'm so proud of myself. I'm turning into a history buff here. I mean, I always was a history buff, but this is good because you give me a reason to get out there and I don't have to justify my existence for having spent two hours looking for something that I care about that no one else has asked about. So, well, you are a history little buff? Or have that just sure grown up with Patricia? I'm, I'm a history little buff or a little history buff, you however are. you uh-huh. would like to term me. So this show is called, <clears throat> excuse me, Molly Runs for City Council, and it's from February 7th, 1950. Molly is approached by, now by the way, um, this is like we do every week now. If you listen carefully to the show, the answers to the questions I'm going to ask you when the show is over in there. I've got three questions that relate to this particular show, and I need one correct answer out of the three, and you get a CD. Hey, this is really cool. I'm going to call in one night. (laughs) (laughs) And win one of your prizes. And win a prize, yeah. Okay, so this one, Molly is approached by the Wistful Vista Women's Club to run for a vacancy on the city council. Molly came back with, all I know about politics is that if you kiss too many babies, one of them is liable to hold you to it. Look at Vice President Barkley. Well, I mean, that made me go, ooh, I wonder what that was. Do you know what that was? Well, I have an idea. Well, give me your idea. Well, Alvin Barkley, uh, in 1948, ran as vice president under the uh, Truman ticket. Right. He was a uh, powerful senator who uh, later, and 
he wound up being such a sort of a lovable figure in politics. And at the time, I think he was a widow, and he married. He remarried during this, uh, during the around this time at this time. So maybe he married a young thing. He married a young thing. You are absolutely on target. Next time, I'm going to call you instead of spending all this time. <laughs> As I'm coming across these bits of information, I'm saying, "Oh wow, this is really good. Let me see what else is out there." But you are absolutely right. He was born. November 24th, 1877, and died April 30th, 1956. He was President Truman's vice president. And the sad thing about it, we have his very last word. Uh, they would record, he was giving a speech, and he passed away. That's right, and it, it had something to do with dying. I would rather have... I, um, I, I, have, the, I have it. It's basically, I would rather be... Uh, I'd rather be in the... The Bink Side. It's a pretty famous line. Maybe I can find it. it. It is a famous line, and I can find it too. I should have written it down, but it had to do with I would I would rather um, be in the house of the Lord. Uh, be loved by millions down here. Something like that. You know, something like I, I understand what you're saying. Um, but it, it would be preferable to him to be loved in the house of the Lord. Mm -hmm. That would be more important to him than being loved by all the people. Yeah, something like that. Contact with down here, yeah. yeah. So, okay, you have to go find it. But anyway, here, here's the poop. Here's the poop. In 1947, now this, this was before he became vice president. He was widowed in 1947. So in January, on January 20th, 1949, at the age of 71, he was inaugurated as President Truman's vice president. Later that same year, on November 18, 1949, that was six days before his 72nd birthday, he married 38-year-old Jane Hadley Barkley, a widow from St. Louis who had two daughters. And that, I'm assuming, because he, he was almost twice her age, that's what Molly was referring to when she said, all I know about politics is if you kiss too many babies, one of them is going to hold you to it. One of my Vice President Barkley. One of my so, favorite stories, um, I have an excerpt with Mary Margaret McBride. Uh-huh. Um, interviewed both uh, the Vice President and his, new, and his new wife. And they asked about his energy level, and she told a story, you know. Uh, time when he was doing campaigning, he was in a point with his pilot. And because they did so much traveling, the pilot fell asleep. And when he woke up, he found the Vice President who did not know how to fly behind the wheel. And the pilot and, and the pilot said, "Don't worry, I'll, I'll make sure we'll get we'll, we'll stay up in the air. You you get rested there." Wow! Yeah. Wow. Well, apparently he was a very well loved person. Must have been. Um, there there was a, a bust of him unveiled in one of the um, White House, uh, not the White House, but in one of the Washington government uh, lobbies. Right. And. People attended, and they had no problem approving this. And he was—he was apparently very, very well loved. So that's, that's pretty cool. Really good. That is really, 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 really cool. Yeah. And um, so anyway, now that you <laughs> really my walking encyclopedia, I should have called you. Oh, you—you—you you, you, you know—you have—you have contact. You know that. But, but look. 
look at all the great fun I had out there. Out, you know, yeah. And I thought, okay, well, this is fine. He got married, but how old is she? And then I had to go out, and then I found her birthday. <laughs> I never knew she was that young, though. I did not know it was that big of a spread. That's, that's, Pretty, yeah, that's, that's, a, that's great. That's a great story. She was 38 and apparently had a very good marriage. I'm, I'm guessing from what was written and how it was written that the two of them were really happy. They were really quite well suited. She could have. She really could have still be technically still alive today. But who knows when she might pass away? But uh, well, she did. She passed away. I think they said nineteen. Oh, I'll have to go back. Uh-huh. He died in. He died in fifty six. I think she died in sixty four. Wow. Um. She. She also had a, a heart attack. So. Oh. Um. And I didn't write down the date. Right. But she was she was quite young. She was in her fifties. Wow. When she died, which that's is just too young. So sad. She she really looked and sounded like a a very sweet person. Yeah. The kind of person you wish had lived next door to you. Mm-hmm. Could run over and have coffee with. Uh huh. Yeah. yeah. I'm not a coffee person, but I would have had coffee with her. That's true. I mean, you know, like knocking on neighbors' doors and right. having coffee type right. stuff. I'm I'm not. Patricia liked to have her coffee at her breakfast table. Yeah, curled up in a corner. <laughs> Say, please go away for another hour. <laughs> I don't want to wake up. Okay, so we've got Molly. This is now Molly runs for city council from February seventh, nineteen fifty. Molly really doesn't want to be on the city council, but even Mayor Latrivia is recruiting her, and she says she can't find a graceful way to get out of it. But good old Molly, she finds a way to do it. So. You have to really listen hard because I have three questions related to this show. One correct answer gets a CD, and Walden is now going to play Molly Runs for City Council, February 7th, 1950. The Johnson Black Program with Heather McGee and Molly.
council of Wistful Vista has never had a woman member. But as the bee said when it sat on the hat pin, there's a first time for everything. <laughs> if the lady of the house at 79 Wistful Vista can be sufficiently urged to run for office, but for further details, listen to Fibber McGee and Molly. I don't know what to say, Mrs. Clammer. Uh, let, let's go over this thing again. Slow, Clammy. I didn't get it either. I guess I'm kind of dull today. Today? You are? What's the matter, Mrs. Clammer? Oh, I, I bit my tongue. And just in time, too. <laughs> now, here's the situation, Mr. McGee. Now, now, take it slow. In syllables of one word. As you know, there is an interim vacancy in the city council. And we women of the Wistful Vista Women's Club would like to have Mrs. McGee fill the office. Me? Oh, heavenly days, Mrs. Clammer. <laughs> All I know about politics is that if you kiss too many babies, one of them is liable to hold you to it. <laughs> Look at Vice President Barkley. Personally, Tootsie. Uh, yes, Mr. McGee? I was speaking to my wife, Clammy. Since when did I start calling our neighbor women Tootsie? <laughs> Well, it'll be only fair play, Mr. McGee. You should hear what the neighbors call you. <laughs> well, gee, thanks. That's nice to know, Clammy. Well, Molly, you better do it. Get on that city council. Think of the good you could do. Like getting me an honorary police badge so I could tell them... Now, now, just a minute, dearie. I don't know about this. After all, Mrs. Clammer, I'm just a housewife of and... Of course you are, dear. The finest training in the world for a political office. Uh, how long have you two been married? Well, now, uh, let me see. Uh, when were the Lincoln-Douglas debates? <laughs> oh, it wasn't that long ago, kid. Oh, my gosh. Well, it doesn't really matter. Uh, what I mean is that for years and years as a private party, you've been arguing with the utility companies. Give us more water pressure. Why is my gas bill so high? What do you mean I have to take a six-party telephone? And all that sort of thing. Oh. Now you can do it as a city official. Oh, boy, am I going to have fun. <laughs> Dear sir... As the husband of Councilwoman McGee, I hereby give you just three days to remove that fire plug at 14th and Oak, which for 12 years I've been getting tickets for parking in front of it, and if you don't... Now, hold it. <laughs> Look, Mrs. Clammer, I don't like to sound mercenary, and I know that being in the city council is mostly honorary, and money isn't everything, and I've heard of a lot of dollar-a-year men who would have been expensive at 35 cents, but what's the salary? <laughs> That's a good question. Strange, I didn't think of that. Well, as you say, Mrs. McGee, it is mostly honorary, but there is a salary of $50 a month to take care of expenses. Grab it, Snooky, grab it. Get on that council and then vote yourself a raise. I'll go around with petitions <laughs> and... McGee! That's not a very nice Oh, thing. not right away, of course. Get yourself in solid first. Kid them along with a lot of phony economies for a while. You know, like shorter benches in the parks. Smaller animals in the city zoo. <laughs> Stuff like that. Then when they ain't looking, sneak in a resolution. No. Well, gee whiz, I was nearly... Now, how about it, Mrs. McGee? Oh, you could do so much good, you know, and we need a woman's viewpoint in the council. Please say yes. Well, uh... <laughs> Come on, baby. I always wanted to be married to a politician. Why, in a few years from now, I can even write a book. Inside Whistle Vista. Or, she had what it took, and she took what they had. <laughs> 
Reinhardt, will you get it into your bright-eyed little head that if I do get to be a councilwoman, I'll be an honest one? Of course you will, Mrs. McGee. Mr. McGee, you're very cynical. Yes, yes, I guess I am that clammy. Maybe ignorant, too. <laughs> you take the displaced persons bill, for instance. Till last month, I thought DP meant Drew Pearson. <laughs> so if Molly decides... I'll tell you what, Mrs. Clammer. You tell the ladies I'm considering the matter seriously. Oh, splendid, Mrs. McGee, splendid. I'll go inform the women's club immediately. Thank you so much. Oh, not at all, Clammy. You may quote us as saying that we are for improved city government and intend to fight corruption in the McGee. city. McGee, hmm? I'll make my own speeches, if you please. You betcha, kiddo. You make them and I'll write them. <laughs> I always well, say... Well, I must be going, Mrs. McGee. Thank you so much, and I know this is a wonderful day for Whistle Vista. Well, thank you, Mrs. Flammer. I'll do my best. Let me open the door for you. Hello, folks. Oh, oh. hello. Hey, who are you pointing your finger at, Wimp? Huh? Oh, excuse me. I was pointing it at the doorbell, uh, Mr. McGee, but Mrs. McGee opened it before I had a chance to. Oh, I'm sorry, Mrs. Flammer, <laughs> uh, but do you know Mr. Wallace Wimple? Our neighbor, Mrs. Flammer, Mr. Wimple. How do you do, Mrs. Clammer? Oh, we've met before, Mr. Wimple, at the day you recited some of your poetry to our women's club. Oh, it was simply wonderful. I just love that little poem of yours about the woodpecker. I don't believe I ever heard that one, Wimp. What was it, Mr. Wimple? Oh, it was just a simple little thing. It was from a book of poetry I wrote once called Verses Simple by Wallace Wimple. <laughs> Do recite it for them, Mr. Wimple. Do, please do. Oh, he don't have to if you don't want to climb. He don't, don't climb. <clears throat> the woodpecker. A red-headed bird named Gregory was sitting one day in an old dead tree, and his wife on their nest not far away was waiting for him at the end of day when Greg would come home with a bunch of bugs to feed their four little red-headed mugs. But she saw him loafing and blew her top and screamed, This laziness has to stop. Now get to work or I'll wring your neck. So peck, my Gregory. Gregory, peck. <laughs> oh, I just love that. Thank you, Mr. Wimple. Well, I must go now. Goodbye. I can't give you much time today, Wimp. I and Molly got to get downtown to the city hall and start campaigning. My wife ran for office once. Sweetie Faith. You mean? Yes, my big old wife. She ran for dog catcher. Oh. During the campaign, she used to practice throwing a net over me every night. <laughs> Make me run around the living room and bark and then catch me in the net. Yeah? <laughs> oh, I got so tired of it. Well, uh, did she get elected, Mr. Wimple? <laughs> no. <laughs> I fixed it so the city didn't need a dog catcher and they abolished the office. Well, how the Sam Hill did you do that? <laughs> well, you took my entire savings, but it was worth it. I bought a license for every dog in town. <laughs> my goodness, when I think of being practiced on with a dog catcher's net every night for four years, I just sit down on the floor and scratch myself. <laughs> well, I've got to be going, folks. Can I drop you at the city hall? Do you have your car here, Mr. Wimple? Oh, no. I always walk. Oh, well, in that case, drop us off, Wimp. Get your hat, candidate. Well, what do you think, Mr. Mayor? Is there any way I can gracefully withdraw? What do you mean, withdraw, Molly? You told Mrs. Clammer you... I told her I'd consider it seriously, dearie. I couldn't think of a good excuse not to run, so I was stalling for time. Well, Molly, I think you'd make a very good council member. Me too, Lisette. My gosh, with the advice I could give uh, her... Maybe. Huh? 
In the many years I've held the office of mayor in Whistful Vista, you have given me a great deal of advice also. <laughs> and I keep getting re-elected and re-elected. Oh, well, there's nothing in any red blood. Because I ignored your advice. <laughs> now, be quiet a minute. Well, the only reason I was giving you such bum advice, boy, was because I thought your phone might have been tapped. Therefore, as uh, I... Will you please be still a minute? Okay, but better men than you have ignored my advice, Latriv. When Tom Dewey ran the second time, I sent him a telegram. Mm -hmm. Okay, I'll just sit here and take notes. Hmm. <laughs> There's something else I wish you'd take, but it would need a doctor's prescription and require a post-mortem. <laughs> now then, Molly, I do wish you'd let us file your name. There isn't much time, you know. The election is in the morning, 10 o'clock. Council Chamber. Oh, I don't know, Mr. Mayor. I don't really want to do it, but... And may I say a word? No. Uh... <laughs> How about it, Molly? I can whip the other council members into line if you say the word. As Molly's campaign manager, I think our best strategy would be... Hush, theory. Okay. You realize, Mr. Mayor, I'm just a simple housewife. Yeah, uh, uh, excuse me. Hello? Yes, this is my honor. I mean... Uh, <laughs> I am his mayor. My mayor. This is Mayor Le Trivia speaking. <laughs> yes? Yes, yes, certainly. I'll cut the ribbon over the new 14th Street Bridge Wednesday at 11. Not at all. Goodbye. Cut the ribbon over the new bridge? My gosh, that bridge was dedicated last July. I know, but it's a very ugly bridge, and I've been ribbing the contractors about it ever since. They want me to cut the ribbon. <laughs> I will do so on Wednesday at 11. More formal that way. <clears throat> now then, Molly, about your candidacy... I'm, oh, excuse me. Yes, Miss Gimlet? Miss Mayor, uh, there's a delegation outside your door that would like to sing a song for Mrs. McGee. Uh, they hear she's going to be a candidate for the city council. Uh, shall I open the door and let them sing? Heavenly days, my goodness, sir. Uh, well... Uh, uh, by all means, Miss Gimlet. Now, now, don't spill it, kiddo, don't spill it. But this is, this is my doing. I, I arranged this demonstration. Cost me 22 bucks. That's two bucks over the wistful list of scale, but I paid it. <laughs> all right, boys, for our favorite candidate, Mrs. Molly McGee. <laughs> Wherever you live throughout the land, there's something about a home. 
That was wonderful. And may I take this opportunity on behalf of my wife to say a few words? We feel that Wistful Vista... Thank you, Miss Gimlet. <laughs> That's a pretty rude way to treat a candidate's manager. Bye, Georgia Pilot. Well, uh, we won't take up any more of your time, Mr. Mayor. <laughs> Thank you, and I suppose I'll have to run now. But if I can think of a grateful way to get out of it... Ah, don't tip over the banana wagon, kiddo. Well, so long, Latrivia. Good day, McGee. Good day, Molly, and good luck. Thank you, Your Honor. Look, you gotta run. Think what it means to me. Why, with you on the council, I can ride on the squad car. Play pinochle at the firehouse. And hire Junior. Oh, hello, Mr. Wilcox. <laughs> hello, pal. Hello, Molly. Say, I just heard the good news. Thank you, Junior. I think I'll do a good job. Doing what? I'm gonna manage your campaign. Wasn't that the good news you meant? No, I meant the good news that she was running for the city council. Oh, well, yeah. I'm not so sure, Mr. Wilcox. Besides, there can't be much of a campaign with a council election tomorrow morning. You'd be surprised, baby. The telephone campaign I can put on by telephone tonight was what I know about some of them council uh, members. Uh, wait a minute, pal. Uh, You're off to a great start getting her elected on a blackmail basis. That ain't blackmail, Junie. I'm merely utilizing certain facts and information which have come to my attention in order that my candidate, who stands for clean government and government by the people, of the people, and for the people, with justice and cheap transportation for all... Goodness sake. Will you come off it? Okay, but I wish there'd been a photographer here just then. <laughs> you notice that gesture I done when I said cheap transportation for all? <laughs> kind of like I was embracing the whole topic. Will you pipe down a minute, Hal? Certainly. I'll let my candidate speak for herself. Well, I think that Tell I... Tell him how you're going to work for that new playground. <laughs> Tell him how you're going to get a new clubhouse for the elf. Be, Be quiet. quiet. Okay. It's two to one. <laughs> Majority rule. The democratic way. <laughs> now then, Molly. Just what? Be quiet, pal. Say anything? Well, you were opening your mouth. Well, I'm wiggling my toes, too, but that don't mean I'm going to kick somebody. <laughs> and by somebody, I don't mean you, Molly. You're sweet. Now, Molly, just what is your platform? Oh, I don't know, Mr. Wilcox. In the first place, if I get to be a member of the council, which I hope I don't, I'm going to work first for a new clubhouse for the Boy Scouts. I'm very interested in the Boy Scouts because I think scout work is a wonderful start toward good citizenship and deserves everybody's wholehearted support. And furthermore, my candidate... Hush, dearie. Mm. There isn't room on this stump for both of us. <laughs> you know, this week, Mr. Wilcox marks the 40th anniversary of the Boy Scouts. And I think it's a fitting time for Whistle Vista in every city to encourage their activities. That's a fine statement for the press. I'll call the Gazette. Oh, Gazette. cut it out, Gabby. <laughs> and after you do the Boy Scouts a good turn, Molly, what then? Well, seeing as I'm merely a housewife... What do you mean, merely? See, whiz housewives are pretty important people. The homemakers of the nation. The family builders. The... The, the... coat buyers. <laughs> Face it. Yes, the glow coat buyers. Yeah. Don't sell that short, pal. I'm hip. It's the housewives who buy the Johnson's water repellent glow coat. And it's the glow coat that keeps the home clean and sanitary and easy to keep bright and cheerful looking. Because it makes still things so easy to wipe up without leaving any dull, milky streaks. And it's the council. Exactly. If those housewives will take the counsel of an old wax salesman who is selling the new Johnson's water repellent glow coat now on their dealer's shelves in the familiar Johnson container 
And all glow coat now being sold is water repellent. Now the city hall officials permit this yelling around in the corridors, or I'll never understand. When my wife gets on the city council by... Molly, George... Molly, I'll talk to you later about this. I can't get a word in edgewise with your campaign manager standing around. Good luck tomorrow. And with him, you'll need it. Goodbye, Mr. Wilcox. Come on, Lexi. So, with me as your manager, you'll need a lot of luck, will you? By George, I'll get even with that guy. When you get on that city council, Molly, if you do...